Hello, boys. Welcome to that horror show podcast with that dynamic duo of horror, Timothy Kaz and Christopher Koenig. I'm my number one fan. We all go a little mad sometimes. We're going to need a bigger boat. When you think of horror, think of us. We are a podcast like no other. So sit back, relax, and enjoy that horror show podcast, if you dare. Recorded on Tuesday, January 26, 2016. Hello and welcome back, dear listeners, and welcome to our first episode of the new year and a brand new season of That Horror Show Podcast, or THSP for short. With episode 11, that uh, Valentine's Day episode, Will You Be Our Bloody Valentine? I'm your host, Tim Kasner. With me tonight is Christopher Mayhem Koenig. How are you, Chris? <laughs> oh, I'm just fine. It's great to be back. Uh, we had a nice uh, month-long um, time off. Yes. Uh, but it's great to be back in the uh, recording studio. Yes, at beautiful Studio 300 in yes, yes, Bolingbrook. Yes, yes, we, we've up, yes. Yes, we, uh, we're very proud to be in this studio, and uh, we've gone from the glory days of uh, recording a studio in uh, somebody's house that feels like it's a barn. Basement, <laughs> Basement kitchen, a kitchen. Backyard. Or, yes, backyard. <laughs> but, uh, and also, what's more important is we are on, what is it, our second season? Year? Oh, yeah, second season. Second season, episode 11. Yeah, who would have thought it? Yeah, who would have thought it? <laughs> they said they wouldn't, it wouldn't uh, last. It wouldn't last. Well, we made it, so to hell with you. <laughs> oh. So, uh, but I, what, what have you been up to lately, Tim? Well, man, I tell you, I'm a little freaking depressed, quite frankly. Uh, oh, yeah, you know, we talked about this oh, before yeah. we started, I mean, but yes. Seriously, we're only three weeks into the new year, and the entertainment industry has lost quite a few legends, oh. beloved character actors, musicians, etc. First, although I would like to take a look back at 2015 briefly at some of the ones that left us and then the ones that left us this past Jan- or this January. First, the seven icons of horror that left us in 2015. Um, number one is Gunnar Hansen. Yeah. He passed away from pancreatic pa- uh, cancer, and he's best known for his role as Leatherface in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Also a novelist, too. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and then you have uh, Wes Craven. Everybody mm-hmm. knows who he is, yeah. writer and director of such films as The Serpent and the Rainbow, The People Under the Stairs, Shocker, <laughs> mm-hmm. A Nightmare on Elm Street Scream, and many others. Yeah. And he passed away of brain cancer. And then Betsy Palmer, best known for her role as Pamela Voorhees in the original Friday the 13th. Yeah, that's right. And she passed away due to natural causes. Um, and this was a kind of really sad, um, little known probably by most, but Rosa, Rose Signa, she was best known for her role as Legolas Susie from American Horror Story Freak Show. Uh, oh, yeah. That's and right. she passed away uh, due to post-surgery complications. Um, and it's ironic, or not ironic, but uh, amazing that she had two children and, and um, because, you know, she only, was only a torso. I mean, it, but it was very sad. She was about 43. Um, then Erwin Keyes, uh, he passed away, best known for his role as, uh, I think, Ravi in House of a Thousand Corpses. A big, tall, ugly-looking dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to the dead, but... Yeah. Uh, then Rowdy Piper, you know. Yeah, oh, and that wow. was, that, Now, that oh, was a shocker. Rowdy, oh, man. 
you know, and it's funny about him too. I mean, you you know, he because he mostly did wrestling. Yeah. But it's interesting when you watch his performances in movies like They Live. Right. It's like he really does his best, and he does a pretty good job in I, the act, in, 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 at least in terms of the character that he plays in the right. acting department. So. And, and actually, it's uh, funny you mentioned that um, because I've actually just ordered that to Amazon. It's coming to my house on oh, Wednesday okay. or Friday. Well, you will if you love the movie. You will yeah. still oh, enjoy yeah. his performance. Yeah, and, then, <laughs> and then Sir Christopher Lee, whose many yeah. accomplishments are vast. You know. Oh, God, I was very saddened of his passing too. Yeah. But I mean, again, he passed away due to natural causes, and you know, you can't obviously they can't live forever, and the uh, and he was quite old, and right, right. But, but all these people have left us their yeah. memorable works. Yeah. And we always go back and watch them. Yes. Now, well, under our recent passings of in January, as of this recording date uh, of the twenty sixth. And I'm sure you'll add, uh, we're talking off air, and I'm sure you'll add a few more because yeah, yeah. I just couldn't keep up with it. It was uh, exhausting. Um, number one was uh, uh, Angus Grimm. He was 89 years old, yeah. best known for, for his role in the tall, <clears throat> as a tall man in the Phantasm franchise. <coughs> um, then we had uh, Pat Harrington Jr., a comedian and actor, best known for his role as the cocky handyman from the television show One Day at a Time. Yeah. And he passed away due to... Uh, complications from Alzheimer's disease, which that's a horrible disease. I mean, there's no good disease, but Alzheimer's and cancer, we got to get rid of that. <laughs> um, David Bowie, 69, yeah, singer, 69. songwriter, oh my singer, Jesus songwriter, and Christ. actor, artist. And as but a kid growing, as a kid growing up in the '80s, both you and I, were, I, I know him best for his roles as Labyrinth, as the Goblin King. Right, right. And but I'm telling you, man, age 69. Yeah. It's just, uh. It's horrible. Then uh, David Margulies, I think I pronounced the name correctly. Yeah, David Margulies, yeah, from yeah. Um, who played the mayor. Of mayor Lenny from Ghostbusters one and two, and, and uh, has a bit as the psychiatrist in Dress to Kill for Brian De Palma. Yeah, I mean, yeah, veteran of stage <laughs> and screen, so. That that was sad to know. Alan Rickman, who was a big shock. Oh yeah, and and I gotta tell you, when you have an actor like Alan Rickman, and I like, I do like Die Hard, but I'm mm. just saying, as silly as the premise for Die Hard is, when you have an actor like Alan Rickman that can help make that premise right work so well. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, again, as a kid growing up in the '80s. I, I know him from movies such as, um, you know, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Die Hard, and then he was in the, the very successful Harry Potter franchise. Right. But to me, he'll he'll always be Hans Gruber. <laughs> always. <laughs> he'll be Hans Gruber. <laughs> yeah. Him and his his German yeah. cronies and the you one cowboy dude, yeah, and the one dude who looks like Huey Lewis from the News. <laughs> 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 but yeah, oh yeah, Al Rickman was a stunner too. And, yeah. And, oh, man. And then uh, j- just recently, uh, D- Dan Haggerty fr- uh, from the 1970s television show Grizzly Adams, he died on February 15th at the age right. of 73 from cancer. Oh, and then on January 18th at the age of 67, Glenn Fry, the legendary member of the Eagles, he passed away. <laughs> oh, my Man, God. Man, when I think of the Eagles, I think of the scene in the Big Lebowski. <laughs> you ever seen Big Lebowski? Oh, but, it's been a while, but yes, but I've seen it. It's Jeff Bridges where he's just, after he's been drugged and he's in the back of a taxi cab and the taxi driver is playing the... Um, uh, a song from the Eagles, right? And uh, he, you know, Bridges tells him, "Can you turn that off, please?" And the camera says, "This is my fucking car. I'll keep on all I want." And he goes, "Look, I just." And he goes, "Look, I just want to sit back and relax." And I hate the fucking Eagles. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, and of course he gets out of the cab for saying that. But well, <laughs> you know, it's funny uh, because last time I remember seeing that, it was really listening to the Eagles was. Uh, when I was in Romania, <laughs> of, of all oh, places, wow. and I was just, you know, just it came on my iPod. It was just bopping around like I had on shuffle. And Hotel California came on, but it was was more, was was a lot funnier than that. Is that we were we were driving for like hours to get to a, a, a you know a destination to see um, it's the salt mines, um, and we go past this uh, 
hotel, this beautiful hotel on the side of the road. I mean, it's off the side of the road, but it's just massive. And it says the Hotel Transylvania. And I'm like, living up in the Hotel Transylvania. Oh, it, like, it just it made me laugh. I don't know. It was a long day, but it made me laugh. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, enough sadness. Oh. Well, you know, don't forget, though, there was another person, Lemmy from Motorhead. Oh, yes, Lemmy from Motorhead. Yes. Yeah. Well, he was kind of circling the drain for a while. Yeah, I mean, it was just was. a matter of time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's uh, unfortunate. But you so. know what? I got to say for him, if that's – if he – when you consider that his whole life has mostly been drinking and doing yeah. singing, it's like if that's how what your life wants to be, that's fine. Yeah, I think man. they're they <laughs> actually not. They're actually calling the Roman Coke Coke now the Lemmy because <laughs> that, that's what you're going to order at some bars. It's yeah. called the Lemmy. I want the Lemmy. <laughs> um, but no, he was a, a great frontman for Motorhead for many years, yeah. and. Uh, He'll, he'll definitely a, a, a be missed. A very wild character in his own right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, but I saw him uh, do um, just uh, some sort of like pregame. Uh, this was, a, I want to say, maybe a year or two ago for the AFL, uh, for the Ki- LA Kiss franchise. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's the owners, or Paul Stanley and uh, I forget the other guy um, from Kiss. But anyway, Gene Simmons. Gene Simmons, yeah. They, they owned the, the, this, this franchise and they had actually had Lemmy come out. And to the to the field, and I think do a coin toss or sing a song or something like that, or sing the national anthem. And he just looked bad back then, even uh, two years ago. I mean, he was hobbling around. I felt so bad for him. I mean, uh, but I mean, that's years of hard partying, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he went out the way he wanted to go out, but yeah, I mean, so. that's rough. I'm just waiting for. I mean, unfortunately, I hate to sound pessimistic, but I mean, Jake the Snake Roberts can't be that far behind. <laughs> I mean, that guy has abused his system Jesus. like something horrible. Yeah. And and I love Jake Roberts. I think he was a great wrestler back in the day, and just um, you know, a tremendous, uh, very in, a very intelligent person, but very troubled. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, enough sadness. Let's talk some movies, Chris. Right, yes, yes. Now, right before we head into our what we watch segment, uh, is there anything that you watch or currently watching over the Christmas and holiday break? You know what? Well, before I did watch um, the first um, the first season of uh, Better Call Saul. That's all which good. I really liked very much. I, I did like. I, I kind of came late to the Breaking Bad. Uh, I guess Breaking I think Bad we all party. Did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because most people were catching it when it was on television. Yeah. I was catching it when they were releasing it on DVD. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I mean, I was. I, I, so I had familiarized myself with. Breaking Bad. I really liked that show very much. Yeah, and when I heard Breaking Bad is an amazing show. And then when I heard they were doing the TV spinoff of the lawyer Saul, played by Bob Odenkirk, <clears throat> for Better Call Saul. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I was like, oh, I wonder what they're going to do. And then when I saw the, the the first season of it, when it was finally released on DVD, folks, I'll I'll, I'll admit it. I I don't catch these things on TV. I'm yeah. sorry. Chris but works too much. I work too much. Yeah, yeah. Or I'm just too lazy to check. I'm like, I'll wait till Chris doesn't believe in the DVR. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just wait for I'll the season wait, to come out. I'll wait till Family Video picks it up. <laughs> but um, I watched Better Call Saul. I really enjoyed the first season of that, yeah. and I cannot wait for the second yeah, season. Better Call Saul is amazingly yeah. good. Um, yeah, I mean, bre- and and, and it, as for what you mentioned with Breaking Bad, I think. When me and my wife started watching it, we were binge watching on Netflix. We binge watched the, all the seasons they had before the last season premiered. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of the same boat, but we, we we still caught the last season live. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I I mean, I remember hearing a lot about Breaking Bad, but of course, I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, I'll get okay, to it. I'll get yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah. To it. I'm like, you know what? It's on. It's on DVD. They got all the seasons here. Let's just start with season one and see where it takes us. Then immediately, when I'm, I'm done with the first, like I gotta watch season two. I gotta yeah. watch. And and Breaking Bad is one of those shows that has, doesn't go down in yeah, in, yeah. in um, quality at all for its entire no, it run. Doesn't. Yeah. So and I'm hoping Better Call Saul maintains that. You yeah. Know? Um, and then I watched um, the last again on DVD. Sorry, folks. I watched the, the old the, man. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> the, the the last 
well, you know, the last season of Walking Dead, which I, I've been enjoying Walking Dead very much. So I'm hoping, uh, hoping that the next season that's coming up is going to be really good. Yeah, Walking Dead. Um, you, you're going to find it uh, this season. Um, what season are you on right now? What season did you just? Uh, it was the last one from last year. Oh, okay, so, so season that was I want to say five. Yeah, season five. Yeah. So yeah, so that the, you're in for this, this is you know I I, I love it. Um, well, you're gonna. Now you never read the comic books, and no, you don't no, really no. need to read the comic books. But I, I since I'm a big zombie nut, I love yeah. where they go with. It. I love how they also defer or they go away from the comic as well. Right, but. right. And, and, and what I like about uh, Walking, Walking Dead is when I remember watching the first season. I'm, I, you know, and I liked the first season, but I kept mm-hmm. thinking to myself, you know, what what else are they going to do? Because it's basically taking Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, or any zombie film and. St- Directing it yes. for a TV show, and I'm like, I wonder what else they're going to do. And so far, I've been very impressed what they've been doing on each season. Oh, that's good. And yeah. then I just watched the first season of Fear the Walking Dead, yes, which I think did very well introducing what has caused what's called what's how the whole situation is starting out. Because yes. we never get any indications of what's going on in Walking Dead from first season. You know, right, yeah, yeah. Like, you're, you're, immediately, you're immediately thrust into it because you yeah. see Rick, you basically you're experiencing what Rick is experiencing at that moment yeah, in time. Yeah, yeah. And with the Fear of the Walking Dead, it's different. Um, I personally like the show. I mean, I, it's, I'm not in love with it as much as The Walking yeah, Dead. Yeah, yeah, I'm not um, either. But, I the mean, characters like, are a little little bit harder for me to, I guess, love, like, or, yeah. or to feel the connection to. Well, they do feel kind of similar to what you've seen in The Walking right. Dead, so it's like a repeat. I'm just trying to figure out what they're going to do with this because it's like, you know, AMC has The Walking Dead, which has been doing mm-hmm. very well for them, and now they decide, well, let's do Fear the Walking Dead, and I'm thinking to myself, well, how far is that show going to go? I mean, are, are these two shows going to collide into one another at you one know, point? <laughs> that, that's a very good question. They are they're, they're talking about ha- possibly having like a, cross, a crossover where they do run into each other every once in a while or maybe down the road. But I have no idea how they're going to do that because basically what you're doing is you're doing – Walking Dead is – you want to say it's kind of in the present, want to say, like right now. Yeah. Fear the Walking Dead, you're going back like – like six years, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know how they're gonna <laughs> how they're gonna do that. Maybe in the next couple of seasons they they jump ahead, right? You know? Right. And, and um, it, I mean, like I, I would see it working if the the if they did the final episode of The Walking Dead where they run into the characters. Yeah. For, no, I mean, in Fear the Walking Dead, they run into the characters from The Walking Dead, and then of course it begins with truth, them. Truthfully, it's like I think Fear the Walking Dead would end way before The Walking Dead would. Okay. Just because. AMC is in love with Walking Dead. They're doing tremendous numbers. Yeah. And the Fear of the Walking Dead is holding their own. But the fact is that there's just so much source material yeah, <laughs> for yeah. The Walking Dead. Well, and also it feels like these two episodes, these two shows are like stuck in a bizarre time warp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like... yeah. And th- there have been obviously some criticisms of Fear of the Walking Dead basically. Oh, I can't believe there's no, uh, there's no zombies and stuff like that. I'm like, but you guys got to realize something. A zombie outbreak, it doesn't happen – Overnight, literally, it takes yeah. this how they're how they're how this disease and how they're building it up and how they're giving this backstory. It's not instantaneous. It's a process. It's a process. Show. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally like to see the whole thing where, they, where you see them like, uh, you know, as a normal like everyday sunny day, and then all of a sudden, one little thing happens at, on a freeway. Yeah. Oh, that's an isolated incident. Then they're, they're, you hear them talking about oh, there's isolated incidents in Ohio and different kind of right. things like that. And it's a slow build. It's a slow burn. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm interested to see where it's going to go. Like right. You. I am too. So uh, but I look that's... forward to it when it comes out on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll let you borrow my Blu-rays. I have oh, them. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm not a cheapo here. I just – or, no, or, or, or I, late I, – I will admit. No, yes, you just I, wait. I, I can't be lazy about these things. But <laughs> yeah, Chris is very, very lazy. He's, yeah, the, yeah. he's the hardest working lazy man I know. Look, when I, <laughs> when I hear like, oh, there's a great TV show, in the back of my head I just – 
Jot it down. Jot it down. <laughs> put it in the filing cabinet and wait till. And then when I'm at Family Video and I happen to see it there, which is months after it's, you know. Chris, there's this great time called Taxi. I think you should check it out. Uh, <laughs> no, I've actually put the effort and watched it on, on one of those, you know, you know, Nick at Night type, you know, TV programs. Oh my Seeing god. Taxi. Yes, watching uh, young Judd Hirsch, <laughs> who hasn't really aged. That yeah, much. yeah, yeah. Watching a young Judd Hirsch and then thinking to myself, oh yes, he played the father in um, um, Ordinary People, who who cries uncontrollably. And voice. actually, <laughs> I think he does. I'm trying to remember, but yeah. But it's funny because uh, you said you mentioned Judd Hirsch when everything, and um, because I just saw a trailer for the new Independence Day film. And they have they ha- he's in there reprising his role as you know um, oh yeah a, a, you know the father and he looks exactly I mean literally exactly the oh, same boy. the man has like peaked and is just is not aging anymore. <laughs> I'll leave you a fun Judd Hirsch joke too. I remember watching Family Guy and then Peter looks into the hole of a tree and he sees Judd Hirsch building a nuclear weapon. <laughs> He goes, wow, Judd, Judd Hirsch, and he just looks over and goes, yes. And he goes, oh, okay, and then of course later on, you see the the two characters uh, of, of the serial. I mean, the smack, crackle, and pop right. about to wage war on somebody, and he says, now we'll be able to wage war as soon as Judd Hirsch gives us the goods. <laughs> so, but yes, Judd Hirsch aside, we should probably yeah. get back on track. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Figured I'd add a little Family Guy levity to this. <laughs> no problem, no problem. But what have you been checking out? Oh, dear God. I've used my break to the fullest extent. So you just purged, didn't <laughs> I, you? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I basically, I, I uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, gorged myself. There you yes. go. Gorged. I've gorged myself on movies. Uh, first up, because I was waiting for this, as many Star Wars fans were, Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. Saw it twice in the theater. Um, now, if you're a fan of the original franchise, the new film rights the wrongs of so many of the prequels, you know, the episodes one through three, and but with uh, and not the original Star Wars films. I'm also very intrigued where they're going to take it, to take the storyline in episode eight and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of fun. I don't want to, for the, for the few people that may have not seen it already, I don't want to spoil anything by going too far into like the, the plot and, you know, what happens, but very good. I was reading somewhere, I read an article. Uh, just mentioning this because I just remember this now. Um, something about they said that uh, some Star Wars fans are now complaining about the lack of involvement of George Lucas. And the article wrote, made oh, an interesting God. point saying that, well, the fans complained when he was involved. Now they're complaining that he's not involved. You know, <laughs> and it's, it's like, well, in all truthfulness, you know – no offense to George Lucas. I mean, yes, he's created a, a, a series, yeah, a, a series that has done very well for him. But I have to be honest in my statement on that. George is not a very good writer, not and, a he's very a good very, writer. and he's a very pedestrian director. So the, the fact is, that he's not involved with it, I, I think even for fans that complain about it, should have been like a blessing for them. Yeah, but as as we are fanboys of whatever genre, whatever thing is, yeah. We're kind of never happy with whatever. <laughs> if you make if you make one part, if you make one section of the fanboys happy and fangirls happy, you're gonna inadvertently piss off two or three other people that yeah. are not gonna like it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, George, like you said, George Lucas is really a, a not he's, a good writer. He's he's more of an effects guy, right. and I think that's what has the thing kept is, him going. He's got an amazing mind, and he's and he has this amazing, uh, you know, this uh, imagination to create this vast universe, mm-hmm. uh, basically t- transporting us to a different time and a different. Um, setting and that's awesome, but like you said, he's just not very good. I, I mean, I mean, I mean, I I remember I was looking up Alec Guinness's uh, career one time, 
And Alec Guinness liked working with George Lucas. But I, I remember reading something where he said he didn't he didn't like Star Wars, even though he was played a character that eventually became very iconic. Mm-hmm. But he didn't like Star Wars at all. And he also remembered uh, George Lucas a couple times saying, "Am I supposed to say these lines? Because they're really not very good." <laughs> and George said, "I want you to say them." And he's like, "Okay, I'll say it." But you can imagine that, like it's like sitting there going, "George, you know, you you got such." Talent? Can we make this a little, you know, a little well, more? <laughs> it's it's amazing what these like veteran actors and actresses will do. Like, because Alec Guinness, I wouldn't say he was at a comeback, but this was like his first. Yeah, full, you it, know, it was a push up for him. Yeah, you know? yeah, and, and um, I remember him being dissatisfied. You know, saying the same, same, same things that you were saying. Well, he he didn't he. He, he liked working with George. Right, right. He didn't he, like the movie. But yeah, he didn't think the movie was going to do anything. Yeah, yeah. And it turns out to be like the biggest thing ever. Right, but he still didn't like it. <laughs> well, I, I, and that's perfectly fine. Oh, yeah. I remember the story where uh, somebody, a fan, went up to him and said, Oh, I, 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 you're my favorite actor. And, you know, Al Guinness is thinking to himself, Oh, he's going to be naming off these other movies. That I did. <laughs> he says Star Wars, Star Wars. He just cringes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he said that the kid said, uh, Star Wars, he says, I, and the kid said to him, I saw that movie a hundred times or whatever. Mm hmm. And Alan Guinness told him straight up, and let's hope that the hundredth time is the last time. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's how he felt about that right. film. Well, but anyways, you know, I, but why I mentioned this article is that it's like, well, because the article was actually very positive about the upcoming mm-hmm. Star, the new Star Wars film. Mm-hmm. But they were stating that, you know, the fans are complaining that, well, George Lucas is not involved. And then the writer made a point saying, well, when he was involved in the previous ones, fans mm-hmm. still complained. Yeah. So. I, I will say this. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed Star Wars Episode Seven. It, it was it was a lot of fun. Is it a perfect movie? It's not perfect, but it's damn near close. I mean, <laughs> I, it's it's for a Star Wars, being a Star Wars movie. It not, met that your movie. expectations. Yeah, it met my expectations. Um, I, I saw a lot of positive things in there. Um, not really too many negatives. Um, but again, I don't want to spoil it for anybody else. But just go see it if you haven't seen it, and I may save it for a review later on when the DVD gets released, just so everybody has a chance to see it. I can talk about everything because uh, people were still complaining a month after the movie was released, saying, "Oh, please don't spoil anything on Facebook." I mean, my shit got spoiled the night before. <laughs> I, literally, people. This is how people, how snarky people were on the internet and on Facebook and social media. You get you'd be an article on Facebook. Yeah, about anything, yeah. Um, a car accident, weather, whatever. Mm-hmm. They were, they were posting the spoilers, the detailed spoilers and synopsis of the movie in the comments section. So even if you were avoiding things, yeah. that is by far really shitty. One and of the things the you, thing sh- you can do, and I, you know, I hate that too because when people just reveal that like that, and I, I don't think people want to do that intentionally. I just think they don't realize that you know the intent of something that's you shouldn't give away, you shouldn't give away, right, and. Well, they knew exactly yeah, what they yeah. were doing. Yeah, and that's why I, I, I say, you know, if you're going to go see it, whatever you do, like on the like the day before it opens or whatever, whatever you do, don't read anything on the internet. I mean, if you want to, right. go ahead, but don't be surprised if someone spoils it for you because that's become such a common thing oh, yeah. nowadays. Is and and people and, and this one, and I, I immediately left a group. I'm not going to mention the group's name, uh, but on Facebook, but the person posted not only the spoiler. A screenshot of his, what he took on his camera phone of the the photo, just so he could say, "Hey, this is for real." I'm like, that is really, really dumb. I mean, even if because I know I know a lot of my friends went dark uh, on Facebook for a while and social media just so they wouldn't have it spoiled. 
And I, I should have done, done that too, but uh, I was just looking for something else and yeah. I saw that and I was just so pissed. <laughs> yeah, otherwise you're going to be like uh, Homer Simpson in that one Simpsons episode. Oh, yes, sir. He walks out of the theater. Yeah, yeah. He's he like, says, I, I couldn't I, believe it. <laughs> I couldn't believe that Darth Vader was Luke <laughs> and, all, and he says it so loud, even though he's not trying to be yeah. a dick about it. Right. Everybody goes, yeah, thanks a lot, man. And like a bunch of people out in the line waiting. <laughs> well, th- th- there is th- there I is mean, there is the Homer Simpson approach, and there's yeah, which is totally unintentional, like to be like like uh, just talking to his wife and being loud about it. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Um, but uh, let's see, the second movie I saw was. Daddy's Home, which was starring Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg, they team up again, hoping to reclaim the magic they had previously in their in their other film together, The Other Guys, which I absolutely loved. Um, well, they still have great chemistry together on screen. It mostly fell flat, more groans and belly laughs. Mm. I still love seeing these guys together, and hopefully they can do another film together, possibly even a sequel they to The sh- Other Guys. They should have done The Other Guys, too. I mean, I absolutely love The Other Guys, and I was really kind of looking forward to it, cause, but it's one of those things where the classic comedy where – all the good stuff is shown in the trailers, mm-hmm. and it's just a lot of like, oh, okay, well, you know, just eye rolls and stuff yeah. like that. I like the other guys too. I mean, I, I think yeah. that film was. I mean, I haven't seen this one yet, so I should yeah. probably wait on that one too. Yeah, but, wait, wait, wait but, for uh, it for Dollar Night at Family Video. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I will. <laughs> um, but then I saw Sisters, uh, and that was a, a date night with uh, a few other people, uh, starring Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, the other former SNL alumni movie that was released about the same time as Daddy's Home. I think there was a two-week buffer between the two films being released. Anywho, the film was a complete opposite of Daddy's Home. Very funny and touching about a story about sisters um, where the where it's a warm comedy. While, the, while not perfect, it works very well, and each, and each of the supporting cast members are both equally funny and have some good moments. And that was, that was a surprise because I went in there – again, I went in with low expectations. I mean I like both of them, but it's like – Again, it's a comedy, and comedies are very hit and miss with yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, or no, no, I should say finally, next next to my final one was Electric Boogaloo, the wild, untoward story of Canon Films oh, man. from 2014. <laughs> now, that is currently on Netflix. <laughs> Holy fucking shit. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, oh the, the Canon guys. Malcolm oh. Golem and Yoram Globus. Thank I, you for saying that because I couldn't pronounce the oh, names. Man. I, I'm sure – go ahead, man. Okay, sure so uh, to I'm going to say – Interesting documentary about two Israel-born cousins. Say their name again. So Menachem Golem and Yoram Globus. <laughs> their names may not be familiar to you, but you've surely seen probably one or more of their eight, cheesy 80s schlock action-adventure movies. American Ninja? Yes, that's on uh, my list. Such as Chuck Norris' film Invasion USA, Delta Force, Cyborg Van Damme. Starring or Fnatic. Life Force? Or yes, Invaders from Mars? Or Texas Chainsaw Massacre yes, 2? Or, yes, totally. you know. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, uh, Death Wish Parts 2 through Forever. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, those are just off the top of our heads. The list goes on and on. You get the picture. But this documentary shows some light on how the Canon Company became what they were and why they ultimately failed but leaving their lasting mark on Tinseltown. You know what? It was – oh, I couldn't believe – it was like 90 minutes but it was like – I couldn't believe how many effing movies they made. They, they made like 80 movies oh, a year. Oh, they did. Yeah. Well, they were just – I mean I haven't seen the documentary yet but I remember reading about it's, them. I, truthfully, you'll love it. You'll I got to check it out. Yeah, you will enjoy I, it. But I remember reading about them and, and their cinematic output and it's like – and, and I, you know, here's the thing. I they, they, they would be filming six movies on like three different yeah. continents at the exact same time. How they got the fucking money, well, which they it, didn't. No, well, I think at one point they did get a lot of the money from. I don't know if they mentioned it, it was called the, fr- the Credit Lyonis Bank in Switzerland. Oh. <laughs> they, they would just get all this money. Well, they would also go to the Cannes Film Festival and MIFED and uh, the American Film Market and pre-sell these movies. Yeah, they, they, they they'd say, hey, what kind of movie would you like to see? Oh, give us money. And then yeah. they'd kind of and, write the script. And, and people think that's stupid, but the reality is is that when you have a market that 
asks for certain products, these guys were the type that would try to fill the bill. They were, I mean, like if a country liked action adventure movies with a shit ton of explosions and you know action stars like Charles Bronson and Chuck Norris, you know they were they were like, oh, okay, fine. Wasn't there one in there where they said they had a bin where it said if they get a script, they'd read it and they'd put it in I one think, for Chuck Norris. Yeah, and I one think for, yeah. yeah. For, oh, this that one's for Van Damme. That one's for Van Damme. The... Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's oh. how they had to do it. And you know what? It's so. You know what? Yes, it's true. Canon film cinematic output contained a lot of schlocky movies. They occasionally made some really good ones, oh, too, yeah. like Runaway Train. R- Runaway yeah. Train. And, and, I, and I thoroughly enjoyed Life Force, Toby Hooper's film. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, mean I actually own that one. Um, and uh, I wish some of the, the early Canada films, like the ones that they made in Israel, like uh, no, I'm sure no one's ever heard of this, called the Lemon Popsicle series. I don't know if they, they talked about that. I, you know, I don't remember them saying that. This is basically, they, they did, they briefly touched upon them, you know, coming over from uh, Israel to America to, uh, and how they set up shop. But it was, they, they just kind of touched, they, they, they covered a lot of ground in like an hour and a half. Yeah. And truthfully, that, that that documentary could have gone for like another 30, 40 minutes and I would have just sat there and watched it all but, day. But I mean, it's a shame that these types of companies like them don't exist anymore because in as much as you can complain about them, I'm sure they, they did, is that they made schlocky films. The reality was... They were fun, though. They were fun, but they and also they, gave people a start in right, the biz. It's right. like, come on. And, and truthfully, I think where Canon left its mark and where it went away, I believe that's what like... Um, Oh, is that not Scream Factory? On there, that's a DVD. Um, but the ones that produce all the um, the knockoff movies, uh, Asylum, 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 Asylum Pictures. Yeah. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. Asylum Pictures kind of picked up where that. Came well, off. that's true. But Asylum specialized, like you said, in knockoffs. Canon was kind of its own. Like they weren't there to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, they did their shared knockoffs, but they did some stuff too, where they they looked at the market as saying, "Well, if ninja movies are popular, we're going to make ninja movies." I mean. Anybody could have I gone think, down that road. I think they got some guy. I forget his name, um, but they showed a picture of him, and he was like in one of the one of the ninja movies. And the guy couldn't. He was like a foot, ex football player. He had a, he looked like a like a stand in for like Tom Selleck back in the day, yeah. and he couldn't <laughs> do a karate like kick to save his life. Yeah. <laughs> so they had to they changed him to this other the other American ninja, the guy with the blonde hair. I forget his uh, name. Was it um, um, was the Italian actor Franco uh, Nero? I think because because there is a movie called Enter the Ninja with Franco Nero. No, this was the, the American Ninja was with uh, oh uh, Michael Dudek. Michael, Michael Dudikoff. Dudikoff. Yeah, thank you yeah, very yeah. much. Who gets a lot of flack too? But you know, and I mean, if I, you enjoy Michael Dudikoff, and I think he was in Bachelor Party, you know, because yeah. it's funny yeah. that. Movie. And again, but most of these guys and and women went on to make a name for themselves outside of canon, which is a basically, it's kind of like a stepping stone. I want to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a shame because it's it's you wish these companies were still around because these companies serve the stepping stones to get your foot in the door. I mean, it, it's it's true that canon, they're they're look they're they're. Their term towards quality didn't always fit, but it didn't. Ma- yes, but it didn't. Nine but, times out of ten, you, you, you always knew what you're going into. Right, you go right. into you're going to a canon film. You know what you're going to get. Right, right. But in, in reality, let's be honest here. Hollywood in general doesn't always focus on quality. They just look at where the market goes. They look at who's in, who's not in, what you can do, what you can't do. I mean, that's how it goes. I mean, um, in the case of canon, you know, yeah, they. They they didn't focus on quality. They focused a lot on quantity, which, you know, like I said, is usually the, the one the one negative thing they look at them. But it gave people a start. I mean, that's the same thing with um, there's an upcoming documentary that's still being worked on for Charlie Band's Empire Pictures before he went off and did Full Moon Entertainment, where Empire Pictures was like this company in the 80s that was putting out, you know, Reanimator from Beyond, all these fun movies that, you know, are still remembered today. And his, his company was like Canon, where it was just this company that, that had – 
a huge output of films didn't always focus on the quality, focus on the and quantity. I, and, I can, and, and I can speak for that. Go, go, I got yeah, something yeah, to say yeah, later. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 the, but the reality is, is that if you ask anybody that worked for them, worked for those companies, they would tell you it gave them a start because oh, yeah. anybody that you honed your skills basically. Right, right. Well, and by, and this is a lesson for those of you out there who are former college students like myself. Okay, um, just because you go to college doesn't mean that once you get out and you go to Hollywood that some big major studio. Or Steven Spielberg is going to welcome you in with open arms. They're right. not. As much as they sit up there and talk about how they give people shots in the business, they'll give you a shot if they think you're worth it. In the case of these low-budget studios, they gave you a shot even if they didn't think you were worth it. I mean, it. You know, yeah. how many film? I mean, in the case of Charlie Band's Empire Pictures, you know, if he always had these things where if people came up with an idea and gave it to them, gave it to him and expressed interest in directing, he would just say, "Okay." And they're like, well, I never directed before. Ah, you're going to learn. Yeah, That's how it goes. Here, you know, here's twenty five thousand dollars. We'll do something. Yeah, yeah <laughs> or or, or one point five million. You know, I mean, I mean, like, um, you know, I mean, and you got to think about that. You, you're a guy who's trying to work in the business. You want to get the director. You've never directed anything before. No major studio is going to give you a directing job because you don't have any street cred. Uh, you're here at a low budget company, and they say, "Oh, okay, fine. There you go." And it's like, there, you, that's your start. And you can criticize the the outcome of the movie. That's fine, but. That's that's your stepping stone. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and you're, you're right. There should be another, you know, another couple of companies out there doing this kind of stuff again. Yeah, yeah, it's not great. It could be, right? But it, but it gives people the chance to hone their skills, but, cut their right. teeth. So it, so it irks me that these types of companies don't exist anymore because it's like that one time. This was back when we during the Severpot days, um, where there was an article about that we talked about briefly about how Steven Spielberg and George Lucas complained that there's no more original films and it's all big blockbuster movies and everything. And I said. Well, then why don't you guys who've made so much money in this business – since you're money, you can do whatever the hell you want with it. But why don't you guys get off your ass, create your own companies again and start looking for talent instead of sitting there and saying, ah, uh, uh, I mean like do the Roger Corman approach. Right. You know, well, Do what Roger's been some, doing for some, like years. Some people are actually doing it. Like I know Matt Damon and, uh, yeah. and Ben Affleck with Project Greenlight. They, but, they're doing but the it. thing with Matt Damon and Project Greenlight is that they're doing that for the sole sake of – a television show, you know, or like a reality yeah. television. Show. Oh yeah, but I mean, um, I'm and, and, and with those guys too, they're focusing on making big movies. No, I'm saying what you guys need to do is, you, if you guys want to start looking for original talent, you actually have to start looking. You actually have to start saying to yourselves, "Okay, here's what we're going to do." Anybody that graduates from UCLA or whatever, you've got scripts. Send them to us. Come into our office. Make appointments. We're not going to do the whole we'll call you, don't call us bullshit. Just knock on our door. Hey, we got uh, – come on in because you can't do that in the major studios. You do that, they tell you to get the fuck off the lot. It's, <laughs> it's, it, and that's the truth. It doesn't matter. If anybody's been lucky enough to get on the lot and get in a meeting, great. But in most cases, even here in Chicago, you can take it from me who's actually written to a lot of television stations trying to get work out here. They don't care. They, if you don't have a track record – they take your letter, they throw it in the garbage, even though they complain, saying, we're looking for talent. And it's yeah. like, well, here's someone, ah, nope, not good enough. It's like, you can't say it's not good enough if you're looking for people. Right. <laughs> it's, so, I mean, like, it, you, you, if you want people to hone their strengths, you got to bring them in. Sorry, this has gone so oh, no, far no, off. No, but it's, but it, that's no. why I like these documents. Oh, yeah. This, this, it's, it's a, I, I highly recommend it. I think, Chris, I think you'll like it. I think you listeners will like it a lot. Um, and finally, 
St. Vincent, starring Bill Murray and Melissa McCarthy and Naomi, Naomi Watts. It's a black comedy drama about a young child whose parents have just broken up, and he finds an unlikely a friend and mentor in a cynical, coarse, and self-indulgent war veteran, Bill Murray, who lives next door. It's a wonderfully done film that makes you feel all the right things. Both Murray and McCarthy give great performances, as well as newcomer Jaden Labar. Uh, definitely a thumbs up for this flick. Uh, I think... You may enjoy it even, Chris. Yeah, I was going to ask, is Melissa McCarthy not acting like a f- foul, no, swearing, loudmouth no, sailor in this no, one? No, she, she actually, she's actually um, – I have seen her do uh, other work. Um, so she – but this is not from her previous – it's not from, so let's say, Tammy. So this is her trying or, to take a risk th- th- and do th- something is, else. Yeah, this is her uh, – Kind of like breaking, them, trying to break the mold of like the, the whole Tammy movies and the yeah, and, uh, and basically Heat and, the heat and, and what was the other one, uh, Identity uh, Theft and and uh, Bridesmaids. And, yes, uh, but but it's very well yeah, done. Yeah, I got to check um, it out now. I mean, like, cause, like I said before about Melissa McCarthy. I mean, I, I don't want to down on her. I know she's a she's a native of this state, <laughs> but you know, I've been very disappointed in her output of varying movies because I just feel like she's fallen in that Will Ferrell syndrome where it's right. like it doesn't matter if it, if the title's different. It's still the same storyline. Then, then, then that's same. why I really enjoyed it about me because I mean I watched her in Mike and Molly and she's not the foul loudmouth there. She that's well, a yeah, it's, yeah, a, it's yeah. a different sitcom. But again, but yeah, but in the, in the films, yeah, it's it, it seems like her last three or four major films have been about this. And then she's got this other movie got coming, obviously you know Ghostbusters, but another movie called The Boss, which looks pretty funny from the trailers but again comedies and me are it's like a it's like a 50-50 yeah, shot yeah. and it's bill you know i mean i like bill murray but I, I i've been kind of growing a little wary of his whole um i don't know how to describe it like he's been sort of living in the seclusion but then he'll pop up out of nowhere and appear at somebody's party and that kind of right. and then of course you know when he was being asked to do ghostbusters 3 he's like he, he was going back and forth saying, I've read the script. I didn't like it or I haven't read the script or whatever. I mean like yeah. – so I guess what I'm trying to say is is Bill Murray in this like giving some effort this in this particular yeah, he, vehicle? He, 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 basically, he's basically playing an old man, which let's face it. He can play an old man now. Yeah, yeah. But he's he's very cynical. He's very drunk. He, he, um, <laughs> but but uh, the thing is – once you learn, hear the story behind why he is the way he is, then you kind of get a bigger picture of why yeah. he is the way he is, or has become that. But um, it's 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 really a really good uh, understated little film, and I enjoyed it. Um, definitely uh, a new idea, a uh, new film. So uh, really enjoyed it. But anyway, I think we should head into our what we watch segment so we get the show on oh, the road. <laughs> yes, yes, we've been we've been so off here. All right, but, so. Um, uh, are we gonna roll trailer. Yeah. Right, well, we gotta we gotta head into what we watch segment. So let's flip yeah. on that old boob tube. All right. Every week, we like to highlight local inventors and entrepreneurs. What is it that inspired three regular Joes to go into business for yourselves? Well, we were all working at pretty terrible jobs for some awful bosses, and we just thought if we ever got a chance to be our own bosses, that we'd do things differently. Yeah, we came up with the uh, shower buddy. I'm sorry, that name's not official yet. I wanted the shower daddy. Shower daddy is worse on pretty much every level, so... Why would your buddy be in the shower with you? Why would your dad? There they are. They're my shower buddies. I'll place the initial order of 100,000 units. 100,000 shower buddies! <laughs> we have finished order in full and it is ready to be shipped. I'm afraid I'm going to have to cancel that order. Say cancel? We have our own new product, the Shower Pal. It's a better name, It too. is a better name. Ugh. What were we thinking? Who bets on themselves? We need to find half a million dollars to get us our company back. I got it! Boom! Marker drop. 
Kidnapping. That's kidnapping. With one more P it is. That's kidnapping. Boy. Is that a Sharpie? I could give you a plan. 50,000. Come on. 600. It's so weird Probably how you negotiate. Sneak into a script, knock him out, and be keep that bitch sedated until daddy pays up. Name me one movie where the kidnappers uh, weren't incarcerated. Nine to five. Nine to five. Nine to five is this movie. I know what nine to five is. It's about the white woman with the big ass titties. That's the one. Come with me now. Come with me. What's happening? I want to partner up on this thing. The kidnapping is off. No, 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 it's on. No, it's off. Okay. I think I'll call the police. This little one assaulted me. What? Options are legal options. Jack shit. I heard Jack Leibowitz. Is that an attorney? Gotta be. I'm gonna write that down. We get Jack his Leibowitz. Info, Do you have please. his contact info? Texting. Texting my lady. I don't check in. She goes crazy. I didn't know you were seeing someone. Yeah. That's great. Sex addiction that we cannot change. Sex addiction? Found this gentleman out in your hall. Would you like to share with us? Just been getting together with the guys, chugging one after the other. Oh my God, God. He thinks he's in an AA meeting. So your sexual addiction, it's homosexual in nature. My sex addiction. My sex addiction is, um, and then what did you say? Inbound, four o'clock low. The light will always follow darkness. Keep going the way you're going, you end up as a bum on the street. You train. You fight harder than those other guys, and you win. You can take it, you can make it. You can do this, Lou. You just gotta believe you can. Pop does. Ma does. I do. Louie, a moment of pain is worth a lifetime of glory. We're gonna die out here. We're not dying! Who is the Olympic athlete? Don't look at me. Hello, mother, father. This is your Louis talking. I am now interned in a Tokyo prisoner of war camp. I can't say this. What it says about America, it's not true. This man must be taught respect. Each prison will teach him this lesson. He used to think that I could do anything. That I was better than I am. Who says you're not? If you get me through this, I swear I'll dedicate my whole life to you. Stay down. The future of the shit. Come on. 
Okay, Chris, why don't you take it away? Uh, okay, well then, uh, the one movie I watched uh, recently was Horrible Bosses 2, made in 2014, written by Sean Anders and John Morris and directed by Sean Anders. Uh, yes, yes, I know what you're say- you know what you're thinking. Chris Koenig is reviewing a sequel and has never mentioned the first film for this show. <laughs> well, I'll just give you faithful listeners a rundown of the first Horrible Bosses, which was made in 2011. Uh, Horrible Bosses follows the three main characters, Nick Hendricks, played by Jason Bateman, Dale Arbus, played by Charlie Day, and Kurt Buckman, played by Jason Sudeikis, who find themselves hating their bosses. Uh, Nick's boss, Dave Harkin, played by Kevin Spacey, will not give him a promotion. <laughs> Dale's boss, Dr. Julia Harris, played by Jennifer Aniston. is Oh, a, so is, hot. Yes. Uh, she's a nymphomaniac and wants to bed poor Dale despite him being engaged to another woman. And Kurt dislikes his boss's spoiled son, Bobby, played by Colin Farrell, who takes over the company after his dad, played by Donald Sutherland. Uh, suffers a fatal heart attack. So our three main characters decide to do what any average person would attempt to do. Plan to kill their bosses <laughs> with advice given by street thug James M.F. Jones, played by Jamie Foxx. <laughs> he's hilarious. I was like, yeah, he's, he's okay. Yeah, Which results in a madcap scenario of decent hilarity and fun performances. So yeah, I found Horrible Bosses to be quite funny and worth renting. But what about the recent follow-up, Horrible Bosses 2? Well, let's just say that doing everything all over again a second time does not produce better results. Uh, in Horrible Bosses 2, Jason Bateman, Charlie Day, and Jason Sudeikis return playing the same characters, but this time they quit their jobs with the intent of being their own bosses. The three have invented a new showerhead product, but they don't have a, the capital to manufacture it. Thus, they turn to wealthy businessman Bert Hansen, played by Christoph Waltz, and his son Rex Hansen, played by Chris Pine, for financing. Much to the dismay of his son, the father agrees to order X amount of showerheads and put them on the market. So far, so good, right? Wrong. Once their quota has been met, it turns out Bert has rejected the order and intends to buy up their product and sell them himself once the three go out of business. So after visiting Dave Harkin, once again played by Kevin Spacey, who is serving jail time, to get some quick business education as to how they got screwed over. The three doofuses go to James M.F. Jones, once again played by Jamie Foxx, <laughs> to get some additional advice. Our three characters conceive an idea to kidnap uh, Bert Hansen's son, Rex, and steal some laughing gas from Dr. Julia Harris, once again played by Jennifer Aniston. But the plan falls apart when the guys fall victim to the laughing gas. When they wake up, they find Rex in the trunk of their car tied up. But surprise, surprise, it was all a gag and Rex was never in danger. Instead, Rex wants to help our three would-be kidnappers get money from his father, as he has some outstanding debts that need paying off. But despite teaming up to get revenge on Bert, there is more to this ridiculous scenario than meets the eye. So what can be said about Horrible Bosses 2? Well, nothing good, that's for sure. The first film was actually funny and engaging. The second film is just basically a repeat of everything from the first. Honestly, it feels like the writers just wanted to remake the first film, thereby recycling the same plot and formula from Horrible Bosses with the hopes of doing everything all over again, but, quote, better, unquote. Well, none of the material here is better than what was done in the first. In fact, the whole scenario in this outing is just tiring and unfunny throughout the 100-minute running time. Nothing feels new or fresh, it's all just a rehash of everything previous. Even worse is the performances of Jason Bateman, Charlie Day, and Jason Sudeikis, as their characters are made to be extremely stupid and clumsy in the intentional sense. In the first world of bosses, the three main characters made mistakes due to their own inexperience of committing any type of criminal activity. And thus the humor worked in that direction without making the characters completely dumb for the sake of the show. In Horrible Bosses 2, they are written to be like the modern era Three Stooges team, as Charlie Day and Jason Sudeikis are constantly given lines and situations in which they cannot communicate between themselves properly 
while Jason Bateman is stuck playing the straight man role, making you wonder just how his character happens to be close friends with these two. And it doesn't help matters much that out of all the characters, Charlie Day is the most annoying. It's hard to believe this is the same Charlie Day from the hit TV show, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. But here he is, essentially stuck playing an annoying character and given nothing to do. Jamie Foxx, Kevin Spacey, and Jennifer Anderson reprise their same characters as well. But once again, no matter how familiar they are, they contribute nothing to the whole show. And perhaps the biggest insult to injury is that the whole show cost a whopping $42 million to make. And this film is a comedy, not an action film or a fantasy extravaganza. (sighs) What a waste of money. This film could have easily been made for around $10 million and with a new and upcoming cast as opposed to the overpaid and lazy performers we get on screen. And I happen to like Jason Bateman, Kevin Spacey, and Christoph Waltz. The rest I truly don't care much about. But I happen to like those three. But hey, don't despair. We get a brief end credits blooper reel to make up for the near two hours of unfunny entertainment. And my heart goes out to Christoph Waltz for the blooper reel. He looks like he really wanted to be in something else than this. And I understand completely. (laughs) Uh, So if you're willing to sit through Horrible Bosses 2, best of luck to you. But it'll be a reminder that sometimes a sequel just cannot improve on what was done well the first time around. Not recommended for viewing. Oh, I know I'm getting Chris for Christmas next year (laughs) on DVD. Yeah, Yeah, I completely feel the same way. I loved Horrible Bosses, the the first one. The second one, like we we talked about, three or four funny parts the entire time. I I I I love the opening scene with where they're trying to demonstrate the shower buddy. Yeah, it, that's and they're so ta- funny. It's okay and, scene. and they're talking about the, between what's a, between the shower daddy and shower buddy, and why would it's okay to be showering with a buddy instead of your daddy? It's right, that, right. that that was that was pretty funny. And, and I again, I'm not trying to rip on Charlie. Oh Dave, no, but I love how his character when he's on the TV show, he's supposed to be nervous, uh-huh. and they resort to the old fashioned, you know. Just have him sit there and be nervous and just shout his lines out like, I'm doing just fine. How about you? And I'm sitting there going, Jesus Christ. Well, and just play it up regular and just let the humor flow. Yeah, yeah. sometimes less is more. Yeah, um, yeah. But I really <laughs> – I liked his performance in the first one. Oh, I and, did too. And, I did too. And where, where, where he was – he has to be as a registered sex offender <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because he caught himself exposing himself at a park, but it was at a, he was at a bar and went outside to take a leak, yeah, and the yeah, park yeah. just happened to be across the street right, or right, right next door. I mean, I liked – At midnight. I, I, I liked <laughs> Charlie Day, Jason Vegas, and Jason Bateman in the first film. I, yeah. I really did. They oh, were yeah. great in the first film. The problem is, is that the first film worked because even as a comedy – they made sure they kept these characters because, again, these three guys are supposed to be guys who've never committed a crime before in the first film. And they make tons of mistakes. Oh, yeah. And the mistakes make sense because they're inexperienced. Oh, yeah. Here, they rewrite them to make mistakes, but stupidly, you know, like, like yeah, intentionally I, so. I, I didn't. Again, I wasn't a fan of the second one. I, I went in and I know. it was my fault because I went in with high expectations because I loved the first one. And yeah. I'm like, I did too. son of a bitch. Well, <laughs> it sucks. I mean, yeah. and, and, and like, like, like that's like the big misstep is why would you write the characters to be so intentionally stupid in the second one? You know, like, like, like every time Charlie Day and Sadiq has talked to each other, they always I, I, misinterpret I, I, stuff. In the second film, at least in the first film, when they talked to each other, you didn't get the feeling like they were making those mistakes. I kind of got the feeling you're watching a uh, Three's Company rerun. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! And, uh, oh god! I mean, I, I, 
okay. And, 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 and yes, Jennifer Aniston is hot in this movie, but she's still playing the same. You know, again, it's, it's still the same material. It's like she you could, know, I don't care. She could re- be reading well, her lines off a sandwich oh, board. Yeah. I'll watch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she's got my seven fifty. <laughs> but I will be honest. I say, look, if you're going to go all the way play with Infomaniac, then you got to do some nudity, Jennifer. I'm sorry. Oh well, she, get, they, she came pretty close in the first she one. She came pretty close, but it, it still felt like a tease. Oh yeah, I'm well that's sorry. what it is. And I'm sorry if I were directing it, I'd say, uh, Jen. You are paid a shit ton of money to do this movie, so you better be taken off that top at some point. <laughs> we have to see the girls. <laughs> yes. Or I will do it the Roger Corman way, and I will do what he did one time where he told a young filmmaker, here's $20, go hire the ugliest-looking prostitute <laughs> in, off of Hollywood Boulevard and take her in front of the actress who refuses to take her top off and say, this is your body double. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! If, oh. What is with today? They used to do nudity in the seventies and eighties. Now no one wants to do it anymore, and they oh. paid a lot of money. For, whatever, yeah. complaining well, you, for nothing. Yeah. Anyways, okay. uh, anyways, so what were you watching? Okay, <laughs> well, Jesus Christ, Chris. <laughs> no, okay. um, Sorry, uh, no, it's okay. For for my part of the segment, I watched Unbroken: The True Story from two thousand fourteen, directed by Angelina Jolie, with writing credits by Joel and Ethan Cohen, uh, Richard. Uh, Vargas, William Nichols, and it was based off the book Unbroken by Lauren Hinnenbrand. Now, this is a movie starring uh, Jack O'Connell as Louis Zamprini, Dono Gleason as Phil, I'm, I'm going to butcher this, uh, Miva as Wadabi, and uh, Flint Whitrock as Mac, and Jay Courtney as Cup. Now, Unbroken is a true story of Louis, Louis Louis Zamperini, a young Italian boy whose parents immigrated to America and settled in Torrance, California. As a young boy, Louis was constantly getting into trouble, drinking and fighting, etc. His parents were at their wit, wits' end. Uh, then Louis and his Louis older then old Louis's older brother Pete stepped in to mentor him. He saw something in Louis, and that and that thing was pure speed. The kid could run, so being a runner himself, he trained him. And Louis went on to set all kinds of high school and state records. Louis was even good enough to qualify for the 1936 Berlin Olympics. Louis, has, Louis had always been hard-headed and stubborn since he was a kid, and that served him well when he was competing on the track. Then during World War II, Louis became a successful bombardier. He and his crew success, were always successful in their bombing runs. There was their co-pilot Phil, played by Donald Gleason, Mac the tail gunner, played by Flint, Rit, Flint Whitrock, and Cup, the co-pilot, played by Jan Courtney, and then the rest of the crew. Louis and Phil's crew were assigned a rescue mission over the ocean to try to find another bomb, uh, a downed aircraft. Now, they had just gotten back from a very successful mission a few days prior. The only other issue was that their plane had been completely destroyed and they almost didn't make it back. The powers that be then issued them an ancient plane that their lieutenant had signed off as 100% certified. <laughs> but by anybody, by anybody looking just at it, knew it was certainly no shape to fly. There was somewhat even a comical exchange between the guys. This is a conversation between Cup and Phil. Well, this thing looks like me sitting in my living room trying to fly a house. And Phil goes, they've been taking parts off this for other planes. We're lucky we still got an engine. And then Cup said, well, the lieutenant says it's airworthy. He said it's been certified. And Phil goes, by Helen Keller? (laughs) So soon after takeoff, the two engines blow and the plane crashes into the sea. And Louis, Phil, and Mac are the only ones to survive. Louis, with his hardheadness and being stubborn as a mule, inspired his friends. Over being on, being at sea for over a month, the three men survived on two rafts. Mac eventually dies, and then a couple of weeks later, Louis and Phil are captured by the Japanese after 47 days at sea. And then they are sent to a POW camp in Tokyo. Then Commander Wannabe, or Bird, played by Mia Via, was a 
was a vicious, frustrated man who treated Louis with cruelty since he was Olympian and he saw a little of himself, at, he believes, in, in Louis. He even per- mentions it personally that they could be friends, uh, but he was an enemy of Japan and he needed to be treated as such. But Louis, being hard-headed and brave, was not broken by Watabe, resisting his torture and inspiring his comrades in the camp. Now, I found the film not only to be inspiring but uplifting, but also a testament to what a man or person can overcome in the face of extreme uh, danger. Now, after the war had ended, Louis was able to come home, but he was broken, and he suffered greatly from PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder and drinking. He almost lost his marriage to this, but he was able to rebuild and become unbroken, air quotes. He found God in Christianity, and he he found it and built a wayward, uh, wayward boys camp that taught troubled youth hard work and respect and friendship and courage. He, he actually ended up going back to Japan and forgiving his former captors and even met with them again to tell them that. The only one he didn't get a chance to meet was Wannabe. He declined to meet him again. So that was my what I watched. Yeah, you know, I seen that movie and um, I, I liked it too. Um, I'm, Angelina Jolie directed it, I believe, yes. right? Yeah, I'm not really a big fan of her as a director because I always think she's tries to do these movies where like she's trying to create that um I don't know how to describe it. It feels like 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 everything has to have a meaning type type thing. You know? Yeah. But but with this I film I, I, yeah. I but this film it worked for this, I, right. I think. So Well I've I've only seen I think this is I want to say maybe I know she's only directed a handful of movies. Yeah, yeah. Probably what three or four. So I, I think this is the only movie I saw that she directed. Yeah, so. it's it's. I mean, like it, but, it's very good. I liked it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think she. I mean, I'm, I'm, it was my fault for going onto the internet because you know everybody is, <laughs> you know, a critic. As, well, as you're listening to this, um, yeah. <laughs> but they, they, I think they were un, uh, unfairly harsh on her about this movie. Um, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, they were saying that it didn't have any kind of flair. I'm like, it's the guy's life story. What yeah. flair do you really? Well, need? you know, I will say you talked about his life after being a POW. Yeah. That's one thing that I kind of wish that they did more of in this movie. Because you know, at the end of the movie, I'm not trying to give it away, but right. basically, you know, he goes back to the states, but right. but then it you know it um, fades out, and you get like the pictures, and it says in words what right. happened. I was like, I, I would have rather have liked to see them show all that dramatically in the film. Yeah. Like actually show when he comes back, like, you know, yeah, going through all that. Because basically the last scene of the actual movie you get to see is seeing him hug his mom and yeah, dad. Yeah, yeah. And, and, that's, at, and you at, think yeah. for a moment, oh, well, everything's great. And then all of a sudden it's like you get these other, like, backstory about it. But I'm sitting there going, I think that should have been in the yeah, movie No, I as totally well. agree because, <laughs> it, because that's very interesting and it's very cool. And I, I really enjoy it. And the only reason I knew about this was because I watched the special features on a disc. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and they, they were actually interviewing him and um, – uh, I, I, what I what I'd really admire, and I don't know, obviously, when it says based on a true story, you don't know how much is embellished for film oh, yeah. or whatever it is. But I want to say that this is probably really close to the source material because um, they had the the writer of the book and the novel right there with 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 her, and they also spent a lot of time with Louis before he passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is probably one of your most. I guess truthful adaptations. Yeah, because uh, you know. a lot of movies based on true stories, and I always wish because they always say this movie is based on a true story. I wish they would just put on there adapted from a true story because you know that they always end up changing something for the dramatic elements. Right so. now, like there's this really cool scene, and if it happened in real life, that's fucking awesome. There's a scene where they're on the raft. And uh, they catch like a small shark, yeah. And I'm like, and they just they beat the shit out of it. And they just make sushi right there in the yeah, <laughs> in the yeah. raft. Well, no, first they caught the pelican and they and they started yeah. vomiting. Yeah, <laughs> which you know, as tragic as that looks, it's like you could you can't help but kind of chuckle a bit too because yeah. it's like 
you're out there in the elements and you, you're starving and you get a pelican and you think, oh, this is going to be okay. As soon as I take one bite out of it, they're yeah. just like vomiting. Oh, yeah. I, um, but I, yeah, so I'm glad we both thoroughly enjoyed the movie. Yeah, I, mean, um, I, I liked it too. Like I said, I'm, I'm not a big fan of her directing output, but this yeah, I think is yeah, one of her better movies. Yeah, I'm, I do. I, like I, yeah I'm not a – I wouldn't say I'm a, a fan of hers, but I do like some of her works, yeah. and this is one of it. So I guess with that, now let's head into the heart. <laughs> the, yeah, uh, the heart. The heart of, of our episode. Is, did you fire off a, um, a bow and arrow, too? Yeah. So did you see the quotes? Did you see what I did with Chris? Heart? Yeah, yes. Heart, heart. <laughs> we, we, we hope that you ladies out there will appreciate this Valentine's gift that we give to you. Yeah, you we know? give you our hearts. I mean, which I have to be perfectly honest. This sounds like a Valentine's gift that we would give at the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, 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 here. Because yeah, yeah, like, instead of giving you, you know, like flowers and candy and a fancy dinner, we're talking about two horror movies. Yeah. It's kind of like – it's kind of, the, kind of the equivalent of finding an old mixtape underneath the couch and wrapping it up and giving it to somebody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, giving it so, to you and, and going, here. Yes. We love you. <laughs> no, um, so why don't we roll that trailer for My Bloody Valentine from 1981. Yes. Bad time this time of year. How many times is he gonna tell this story? Don't let him tell it. I love fairy tales. This ain't no fairy tale, little girl. If you don't take it seriously, you're a fool! <laughs> the first Valentine's dance in 20 years has to be something special. Flanders, you've got to get a lot of exercise if you're going to grapple with Gretchen. Oh, yeah? Well, I got a valentine for her that she's never going to forget. <laughs> right to the heart, huh? In this town on Valentine's Day, everybody loses their heart. Roses are red, violets are blue. One is dead, and so are you. It can't be happening again. It can't be happening again. What's going on over in Valentine Bluffs? It looks like Harry Warden's back in town. It happened once. It happened twice. Cancel the dancer, it'll happen twice. Valentine. Okay, Chris, why don't you uh, take it away? Yes. My Bloody Valentine from 1981, directed by uh, George Mihaila and written by John Baird. Uh, My Bloody Valentine opens in the small town of Valentine's Bluff, and we see two miners heading down a mine shaft. 
After they get further and further into the mine, they stop in the secluded part, and one of the miners takes off their gas mask and bird clothes, revealing themselves to be a young woman. The other, oh, yeah, yeah, but no nudity. Damn it. Um, so close. Yeah, so close. Uh, the other miner does not take off their gas mask and wardrobe while the young woman strips down to her bra. Uh, then the woman begins to caress the other person's gas mask and oxygen too. <laughs> Erotic, huh? But no, this isn't the opening scene for a porno. For the one miner takes their pickaxe and shoves the sharp end against the woman's back through her chest and kills the young lass. Well, he Thus, got penetration. Right, that's true. <laughs> Thus revealing what this film will be all about for the next 80 minutes or so. <laughs> In the meantime, we are introduced to our main characters, two miners, TJ, played by Paul Kelman, and Axel, played by Neil Affleck, and the young Sarah, played by Lori Hallier. TJ had left Valentine's Bluff some years ago in an attempt to move on to greener pastures. But things didn't work out, so TJ now finds himself back in his hometown and working down a coal mine. It also should be noted that TJ used to be Sarah's boyfriend. But when TJ fled down... When, when TJ fled town, Sarah eventually hooked up with Axel. So as you can tell, there's going to be some tension between Axel and TJ over who gets the girl. But relationship issues aside for a moment, the town is also prepping to hold a Valentine's Day dance, which hasn't been held in town for the last 20 years. And the reason for that? Well, you see, 20 years ago, there was an explosion which trapped five workers in the mine. The explosion was due to negligence uh, from two supervisors who failed to check the methane gas levels as they left to enjoy the fun and merriment of the Valentine's Day dance. The rescue mission took quite a bit of time to clear the rubble and debris, and only one survivor was found, Harry Warden. And what about the other four, four trapped miners? Well, they died, and Harry Warden had to resort to cannibalism in order to survive. Because of Harry's mental state, he wound up killing the two negligent supervisors, removed their hearts, and placed them in Valentine's Day candy boxes as a warning to never hold another dance again. But now, after many years have passed, Mayor Hanniger, played by Larry Reynolds, and Chief Jake Newby, played by Don Franks, felt it's time to bring the Valentine's Day dance back and forget all about Harry Warden. Well, guess what? Uh, it seems that someone dressed up as a miner is going about killing people, removing their hearts, and placing them in Valentine's Day candy boxes all over again. <laughs> Could it be Harry Warden somehow managing to escape from a mental institution and exacting his revenge all over again after 20 years? Out of fear and, and for safety of the citizens, Mayor Hanager cancels the Valentine's Day dance, much to the disappointment of the young teens eager to party. But TJ comes up with a brilliant idea to move the party to the mine. <laughs> well, that sounds like a winning idea. Right, right. And wouldn't you know it, the mysterious killer crashes the party and starts killing off a young teen or two. And it's up to Axel and TJ to put a stop to this before the killer goes after Sarah. Oh, yes. That's My Bloody Valentine, the original from 1981. You know, I um, hadn't seen this one in a while. And when I didn't see this one for the, a couple of years ago... Uh, it was the theatrical version, so all the gore was cut, you know, mm-hmm. as it's always been. Because when Paramount Pictures released this movie, they cut all the gore out. So yeah, that was but, a shame. Yeah, it was a shame, which I'm sh- which we'll be talking about yes. soon. Um, and uh, I did enjoy the film, you know, when I first saw. It. I didn't think it was the, the greatest, but I was like, ah, you know what? It's okay. It's actually pretty good. The acting's decent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it plays up the slasher elements, but it also sort of deviates from a few things here and there. Uh, it's it's you know worth checking out. So then of course I didn't see it for a long time, and then as we were prepping for the show, you loaned me the uh, the special edition DVD that was released a couple of years back, yep. which contained the theatrical version and the uncut version yes. of it. And I, I watched, watched the, both of those. Uh, yes, I watched the uncut version, and uh, I was very surprised, and I liked the film a little more. Yeah, I know. felt the same way. You know, right? But um, I have to say, 
Uh, I love how this film is supposed to take place in rural America. Oh, Canada. And, uh, yes, and, and everybody is drinking Moosehead beer, you know, or the fact and, – and finally they eventually start – you know, let's bring in some PBR and Schlitz to sort of, you know, edge it out. But, uh, you know, to sort of like, you know, salt the mind, so to speak. But <laughs> but uh, I just love it. It's like it's rural America. The first thing I see someone carrying is like a box that says Moosehead, and, you know, but um, – Yes, this is a Cana- it, it, this is a Canadian production. This was actually made during the time of the Canadian tax shelters. This was produced by John Dunning and Andre Link, one of the two pioneering producers of Canadian cinema back in the seventies and eighties. In fact, they specialized making softcore uh, porno films. They were actually dubbed the maple syrup porn <laughs> of uh, you know they were they were softcore films. They weren't they weren't rough, uh, according to David Cronenberg, who would eventually work with these two guys. Uh, they usually try to inject some political statement of the day in their, their softcore films, but eventually uh, Dunning and Andre, John Dunning and Andre Link tried to move up to making more, um, uh, I guess you could say, more mainstream fare like horror films. They gave David Cronenberg his first start with his movie Shivers in 1975, and then the follow-up film Rabbit, and then uh, The Brood, and um, uh, Scanners, and Videodrome. So these two guys have had a uh, interesting history in Canadian film. The, the fact that they moved from softcore porno to uh, horror films is actually, yeah. <laughs> but um, yes, this is a Canadian tax shelter film, and they do actually a pretty nice job making the look rural America, with the exception of the Moosehead beer pop. Well, hey, <laughs> you got to forgive him for that because Moosehead beer is good beer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, okay, yeah, yeah. I uh, mean, yeah. I mean, but, the fact that PBR shows up in this at one, one or two shots. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, but, cut him some slack. But. Yeah, no, I, I actually really enjoyed this movie too a lot. Um, when I, I'll, I'll, I'll be straightforward with you. I, I, when I first saw it. I didn't like. I, wa- I thought that watched the theatrical cut. I'm like, this really is just nuts. But it's did just, you notice things were missing? <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. You kind of got the feeling, kind of like an incomplete film almost. Um, but it was. It's a, this is a type of movie that kind of grows on you. Yeah. you. I caught it once, and and I'm like, nah. And then kind of like what you did. You know, absence makes the hearts hearts grow fonder. No yeah, pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, let's pop it in again. Like you said, the acting was decent. The 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 writing, the direction was pretty good. Um, I love the location. Yeah. Um, but but watching the uh, for this for the podcast, I watched the original, the, the you know the uncut one, mm. and I really liked that. And I went back and I watched the theatrical cut before I let, borrowed it to you or <laughs> lent it to you. And I'm like, boy. No, no wonder why this movie performed so poorly at the box office when it first came out. Yeah, they. It, it, it's it's just it's, it's it was it was one of those films. I think it was like the first one. It came in nineteen eighty one. It was one of the first films that they just really kind of took the the, the the MPAA took the the knife to and just really starts just chopping the shit out of things and yeah. making it really hard for people. It was well. This was the time where. Um... You know, in for all you youngins out there who don't understand this, or, or, you know, the MPA was kind of balancing between the the, the hard R and the uh, the NC seventeen or X. Well, yeah, no, the X rating, yeah. which most people nowadays tend to want to think that the X rating was for hardcore porno. That's not true. The X rating was for films that the X rating originated back in the late sixties. It was for films that. You know, let's say if it had, like, some guy's arm chopped off and you saw the bloody violence, that was X. Or if you saw someone, you know, Midnight Cowboy is the legendary one where it was an X-rated movie that won the Academy Award. But the movie as a whole didn't contain any hardcore, didn't contain any violence. It actually contained a lot of swearing. I mean, 
that was a time where if you said the word fag, you know, I'm just giving an example, mm-hmm. that was an X-rated, you know, that was an X rating. You know, you couldn't say Did or, somebody flush a toilet yeah, in or, the background. Or, <laughs> yeah, or, or somebody said, you know, fuck, you know, that was an X rating. You know, and that changed in the seventies when that if you said fuck, okay, it's an R rated film. But when it came to like gory violence and horror movies, it was a balancing act between the hard R and the X rating. And my bloody Valentine pretty much fell onto the wayside of the X rating. And Which is kind of unfairly for that. Well, I mean, it's un, it's unfairly for that, but you know, the problem with that rating was that because it was such a dreaded rating, it was hard to get movies played with that because most people thought X was associated with pornos. So it was like my bloody Valentine. You had to explain to the theater owners, no, this is a horror movie, and they're like, well, they didn't care. It's like if it's if it's rated X by the NPA, we don't want to have anything to do with it because. Unless if it was Deep Throat, then that movie, which that movie made, was a porno. Yes, that made like a, a the, su- the supposed amount of six hundred million dollars. You know, any theater was going to play that film, but you know, this film, if if it had an X rating and they didn't know what it was about, because let's face it, at that time, theater owners did not always watch the movies. They would just read the press books. They would see if the movie had was able to be booked, and if it was, and if it had all the exploitable elements, they'd put it in the theater. That's how it went at that time. But, um, yeah, the X rating was kind of unfair on this one when you consider that there were other films at that time that were getting away with stuff too. But uh, it was interesting watching the uncut version because I had never seen it. Yeah. And it it did make the film a lot better. Yeah. It really did. It helped. (laughs) Yeah, I really really actually enjoyed uh, uh, Paul Paul Kleeman's performance as TJ. I thought he was really good as the uh, the, 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 – the, the, the town son that came back after yes, not being, yes. be, being a fa- not failure but failing at whatever his endeavor was. Yeah, he uh, was the uh, he's the mayor's son, yeah. I believe. Yeah, he comes back. Yeah, after. and but Ax- but Axel is just is a dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you kind of do sort of feel bad for him a little bit because in a sense, you know, when TJ had left. You know, he didn't bring Sarah with him, so of course, you know, yeah. Sarah felt the relationship was over and done with. So she went with she went with Axel. So I did. I mean, I do agree. Axel's character does become a dick pretty much throughout this movie. But I think again, the character motivations from being a dick are pretty much there. Well, he and, was afraid he was going to lose Sarah. Yeah, to, yeah. To TJ. And that's the thing about this movie that really works too. That that works well for it is that you don't. These this is not a typical slasher where the teens are just there. Right. You know, they're yeah. just there. Although I I will say this. Um, Oh, you know, finish that. No, 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 I know, but I'm saying like they're not just there just to be slaughtered. They actually have a purpose. They actually have drive. You know, TJ's character is res- finds himself back working the mine. He resents the fact that at Hanniger Mine, at Hanniger Mine, <laughs> he resents the fact that Axel has his former girlfriend. You know, uh, Axel resents the fact that TJ's back, even though they used to be best friends. Right. And, um, he's afraid that he's going to take Sarah. Sarah is torn between who she's going to end up being with. You know, she wants to make up her mind for herself. And at the end of the movie, it's pretty clear on who she's going to be well, with. <laughs> in terms of predictability, yeah. we've seen these slasher movies before. Yes, we know who she's going to end up being with. But again, like I said, the character motivations are there. It doesn't feel like, again, the characters are just here to be killed. I mean, yes, you have the fodder in some parts, but the main characters are not dumb enough where you say, oh, yes, keep making that mistake. Keep doing this. You're going to get killed. I think we should split up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll that, that, we'll, that we'll, we'll cover more ground. Yeah, yeah. We'll cover more ground. <laughs> He's like, what, are you kidding me? <laughs> you wish someone would say that. You wish someone would say like the characters in Cabin in the Woods did. Like, yeah. I think we should split up. No, that's a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. We should never do <laughs> yeah, that. Never do that. Let's follow the rules. <laughs> no, let's not follow the rules. Let's let's break the rules. Oh, but yeah, I, again, I, the performance is pretty good. I will say I did 
Another, I mean, the, Larry Reynolds and Don Franks, the two of the authority figures in this film. Yeah, I will say I, I like those guys a lot. Yeah, I like them. There were parts where I felt their acting was a little rushed, though, because there was like parts where there's a scene in there where when um, they're talking together at the at the morgue, mm-hmm. and when the mortician comes by and brings the heart, which they which to explain that sequence, basically, um, the mayor and the police chief. Uh, receive a box of uh, Valentine's candy, which they think is Valentine's candy. And right. They open it up, and it's the it's a note. It's a note, and it's the the heart of the young woman that was killed in the opening sequence. Obviously, so they take the heart to the the the, uh, the more the um, coroner in the morgue, so they can examine it. And of course, the coroner says, "Oh, this is the heart of a thirty year old woman," and everything. Which, by the way, that guy looks like he is such a day player because he just comes out and plays it so regular. Mm-hmm. Not even that shocked to like. I don't know yeah, what happened I, I, like, here. Like, this is a small town. It's not like this is a big city or, 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 or maybe it's almost like a common occurrence. Like, wait a minute. This should, this yeah, should yeah, yeah. be a little bit more. But, uh, but, but when, when uh, Larry Reynolds and Don Franks interact in that particular sequence, I just felt like their acting in that part was a little rushed. I mean, they do a pretty good job in the rest of the movie. Yeah. But there are times where I felt like they were just sort of like there was no rehearsal time. And, okay, you guys are here. Yeah. And action. All right. I've got an hour to go look over your lines. Yeah. No, you don't even have an hour. We don't have an hour. Just stand in place. All right. And action. We're losing the light. We're losing the light. <laughs> so, but besides that particular sequence, those two guys are pretty good, too, in the rest of the film. Um, and, uh, but, uh, you know, I do like the setting of this, too. Again, we've seen the setting before. Isolated town. Mm-hmm. But... It's in a mine shaft, basically. Yeah, I, I, there's that claustrophobic uh, feeling to it. There's it like there's really nowhere to, you can run, but there's really nowhere to hide, kind right, of thing. Right. Um, that's what I really enjoyed about it, and then that's what I kind of enjoyed about when we were discussing uh, the burning. Remember, right? Uh, they're in the, the the I guess the mine shaft or, or something. It was the abandoned mine. The shaft. abandoned, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I do like that setting there, and what I when I was. You know, listening to the documentary and, and looking at researching this, it's funny that when they took out the scouting crew or the location crew to go find this place, the, the town that they used for for uh, their, their um, what's the name of the town again? I forget the name of it. Uh, I know uh, the name of the town in the other in the other movie, but I, anyway, it doesn't matter. They the town was picked, and they were so happy they were picked, so they ended up putting like fifty to seventy five thousand dollars worth of. Uh, maintenance and like painting, paint, yeah, painting oh, yeah, everything, right. yeah, making yeah. everything look nice and pretty, and then they, came, then the then the director and the crew came and they're like, oh man, we picked this because it looked like a dump yeah, kind yeah, of thing, you know? They had to go back, and <laughs> they had to go back and change it, to the, dirty it up again, dirty up a little bit, yeah. It's, uh, but I can understand why the town did that. They were like, oh wow, yeah, they're we're going to be on, we're going to be in, yeah, you yeah. know, it's going to be on, you know, yeah. seen all over the world, and right, right, right. And even though it's a low budget Canadian tax shelter yeah. picture, <laughs> but, but, but I, I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, that's uh, but it, the, the isolated, you know, the little sleepy, secluded, quote unquote, American town. Yeah. You know, I, I like that setting. It really worked for the movie. And uh, I, I, I will say this: I love the creepy bartender who tells the stories. About yeah, Harry Warden, who who kind of felt like he was. I don't want to say out of place, but. Yeah, he's he like, felt like he okay, was Mr. Just, Pedophile. Yeah, yeah. He felt like he was just like like I love when he tells the story and it goes in that flashback and everything. Yeah. It's like this guy's been telling this story for years and years. We think, obviously. Right. And you just wonder to yourself, my God, what, this guy, he seems like he's just there's yeah. something about him. Just, dude, stop well, telling this creepy story at a bar where you're serving patrons your beer, please. The the only knock I'm gonna put on against this movie is that I did not like the use of bluegrass music in the movie. <laughs> yeah, and we've bluegrass. talked about this before. It's like I like bluegrass music 
you know, in its setting. It, it does not belong in a horror movie. Uh, Pretty much at all. <laughs> well, they do kind of use it in like the, the they, they use it sparingly, sparingly in the bar scene. Uh, but I but mean, bars... they, used it, they, they used it when they were cutting out of the the mine at, like on Friday oh, yeah, night, yeah, yeah, and yeah. they're like, well, but what that made it sound more like it, kids leaving school because it, it was like they all look like teenagers. They're all like, oh, let's it, leave. We're gonna go. It felt go. like those guys should be breaking out into a hoedown, and yeah. then some dude on a jug go. Boom. Oh, yeah, just, but it takes me right out of it. It takes you right out. But but oh, but that's the only thing. And thankfully, they used it sparingly. It wasn't like the other movie I saw where it was just nonstop. It was uh, the town that dreads sundown, the original. And yeah, I and I know I'm supposed to like it because it's a classic and it's an you know. Well, but I, it's too funny for me. It's, I I uh, I agree with you. I mean, I don't hate it, but it's just not. Yeah, that. I agree with you on town that dreads sundown. That that one kind of. Overdoes it with the sort of hillbilly theme. It, fe- it felt like it felt like they took a Duke's Hazard episode and they took a horror movie and they just smushed it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But too much I, comedy. I know what you're saying. Yeah, too much comedy. Too much. I mean, it didn't do it too much in My Bloody Valentine. Oh no, no, no. But um, the the thing about this movie that I like. Well, no, actually, in talking about the bartender, I love how what he does. He wants to get back at the kids because he he overhears. Oh yeah. This is what's kind of funny, but he overhears the kids talking about how they're going to go for the party at the the mine, right? Because they they cancel the party. Well, why do they cancel the party? Yeah, well, they cancel the party because because of they the... they find. Well, Was first it... they find the uh, the older lady. I forget her name. Yeah, in her laundry mat. In, in the laundry mat, where her body is thrown into the laundry that, machine. That by what by. Now, if you watch the theatrical cut and you watch the the uncut or the the how it's supposed to be the uncut version, there's a big difference in that oh, scene. Oh yeah, yeah. When he opens the door, it just you see her briefly, and then you just get that react. Yeah, but it goes by reaction. so fast. And like, wait, what happened? But then you get the whole reaction in the longer version. Yeah, of it. and boy, that that was brutal. Yeah, it <laughs> makes a difference. Too. I felt sorry for the old lady. <laughs> I did too. She didn't have to die. Yeah. <laughs> she was, she didn't but, do anything. But, but I love that scene where, but where before she gets to where she where she finds a Valentine's Day heart sitting there on the on the on the, uh, oh, on the counter. Oh yeah, yeah. And then, but then, and then you see her going to the back, and but you don't see what happens to her, which is kind of cool because you don't want to see an old lady get killed. Yeah. Um, but what I liked about when the sheriff first came in is that he know you start noticing all the hearts are turned upside yeah, down. Yeah, I, I was well, I remember watching it again. I was trying to wonder why he was acting because like, it doesn't quite reveal it. You just see him walking around, and he picks up one Valentine's, and it's upside down. And he just has this confused look on his face. But and he notices thinking, they're all. Yeah, yeah, because the camera pans around. He notices that they're all turned upside down. Because at first I was like, what's he? What's he? What's he concerned about? And then kind all of a sudden like, he sees him turn. I'm like, oh, okay. Kind of like a, like when you when the when the flag is turned upside down, it's a sign of distress. Right, right. And this was a, kind of like a sign of distress well, or a warning. Or, and then I love when he's like just he's sniffing. Like, and what's he going smells. On? And then he grabs one and he smells the laundry and throws it back. And then the lady pops out of the second dryer. <laughs> <laughs> and he has a reaction. He tries turning it off. Yeah. And it's, but uh, so, yeah, they, they cancel the party because of that. And then the kids at the bar say, you know, hey, hey, let's go. TJ's like, let's go have it at the mine. You'd think that the bartender would have the, you know, the guts to go to the sheriff and say, hey, you know, the kid's going to have the party. No, you know what he does? He drives out there. He goes out there. Well, no, but he doesn't tell the sheriff. Yeah. So, well, you know, but, but what I'm saying is you think he'd have – you know, the bartender would have the guts to tell the sheriff because he keeps warning these kids about Harry Warden because they all think Harry Warden is back. You know, he kind of reminds me of uh, the old guy in Friday the 13th. Yeah. <laughs> only only more creepier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you, but think about it. He warns them so much about Harry Warden, okay? And the, everybody thinks, well, the, the chief of police and the mayor think that Harry Warden is back. Mm-hmm. And that's the mystery. They're like, well, he can't be back. He was locked up. Right. So they got to find out. And of course, so they're calling the 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 the, the records to town. The records. No, the uh, or... it was the mental institution. Men- yeah. Record. And of course, again, as much as I like it, typical slasher movie rule: when you're looking up records for somebody, they don't have them. 
Yeah. They're either misplaced or they're was, gone. Was there, was there a line where she said that they were the, the filing system was being updated and they were yeah, moving yeah, stuff around? Yeah. So. so, which is like okay, likely excuse. And I love how the cop, how the sheriff reacts. He says, "I don't care. Look it up." You know, most of these movies, it's like okay, fine. They hang up right. and find some other way to get it. But they go, no. He says, "No, you got to keep looking. We have to know." But like I was saying. The bartender constantly tells these kids these Harry Warden stories, mm-hmm. and then they say, "Well, we're going to go out and uh, have this party over at the mine." You'd think that this guy would at least tell the cops, or the sheriff, you know, "Hey, uh, you canceled them, but uh, just letting you know, they're going to have the party at the mine." No, uh, this, the the bartender, the bar owner, decides to go out to the mine and try to put up a fake dummy um, um, Harry Warden thing at the door. And open it up so it looks like the, the blade comes down to scare them. Well, that dumbass is what it, he got. It, <laughs> it, but, but, but in as much as silly as that is, he does get his odd comeuppance in a way yeah. by having the pickaxe shoved in his mouth <laughs> by the real by the real killer. Yes, by the real Harry Warden. <laughs> well, or is he the real Harry Warden? And by the way, creepy about that scene, after he kills the poor bartender, he drags his body with the guy's body still, you know, his, his jaw still attached to the pickaxe. Yeah. Well, that's a hard way to go. <laughs> so the kids go to the party. They, get, they go to the mine and have their party. And then all hell breaks loose. Yes, they do all the stuff the kids do. Drink beer. Yeah, have, uh, have trying to have premarital sex. Try, try have, yes, trying to have that dreaded premarital sex, one of the rules broken. And some guy, some poor schmuck just wants to get a hot dog yeah. and he gets his head stuck in a... <laughs> In a vat b- of boiling boiling water, I'm like, <laughs> which is which is a a, a, a bizarre death sequence. Uh-huh. I mean, it does work, but I love what, after he kills him, and then they come back, and he's gone, obviously, because right. the killer put him somewhere. They one of them reaches out to get a hot dog. They pull out the kids' this the, the, the heart. Yeah, like, but it's already been boiled yeah. and everything. Yeah, it's clean. So, yeah. so it's like they're like, who put that in there? And she's like, <laughs> like kind of almost like throwing over the shoulder. Yeah, like, oh, I got a comedy act. Yeah, like, and then you've got the. That's the, all, folks. Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you've got the um, the 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 guy and the girl who are making out in the one area where they keep all the the the, 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 the uniforms. Yeah, and the masks. Which I I have to Which, say. Is probably one of the most vicious death sequences. Yeah, in this I, whole I really movie. felt bad for, for that young lady that that got hung up on the sprinkler system. Yeah, and is there isn't there another place where you guys can go fornicate? Does it have to be in like one of the creepiest parts of the fucking yeah, place? Yeah. How about your car? <laughs> yeah. How about your car? Yeah. Be, be American. Do uh, yeah. it the right way. Yeah. Or, or go back to your house, or, or, go, or go get a hotel, or a cheap motel, whichever one works for you. But I love. But I mean. And again, another gore sequence that was cut out that, you know, now makes sense, you know, her, this girl's death sequence, you know, but it's it's also very brutal. I mean, he he picks her up, he takes her to the shower system, has the water turned on, and shoves her head into the system, and then the water is pouring out of her mouth. Yeah, that, that, that was head. really, really... Ooh, and I love, uh, and I love to, and again, you'd think that her boyfriend would be the next victim. Right. No, he doesn't. They, they kind of they jump over him. Yeah, yeah. He, he he sees her and panics and loses his mind and then just runs out. Yeah, he takes it, off and, and he, I think he isn't, he, he's the one that gets the sheriff, right? Uh, him no, and, uh, no. Well, no, he, he tells TJ and Axel that, hey, you know, my girlfriend's dead and, yeah. you know, and people are, you know. And, and that's when they all bolt into the mine. Yeah, yeah. He bolts and, out. And they tell the kid and the other people, go get the sheriff and they go get the sheriff. But, of course, there's a little bit of a problem, though. And what's that? Mm, tell me. Well. Uh, Sarah and her friends decide to go take a little ride down in the mine. <laughs> oh yes, yes, yes with uh, with 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 a 
chunky Magnum PI. Yes, <laughs> who I swear to God I thought was was a young John Candy. <laughs> he he could have. He could have been considering Candy was from Canada and did a lot of SCTV. Yeah, and he was in a horror movie called the I think it was called The Clown Murders. Okay. Yeah, very brief part, but I mean I think it's been a while since I've seen it, but. Um, the guy, the fat guy, sorry, well, rotund, whatever you want to call him. He chubby. looked, yeah, chubby. He looked like he could have been John Candy's stand-in. Yeah, I expected him to do like uh, um, playing the role of uh, Doctor Tongue from the SCTV, where they would. Where I don't know if anybody's seen that, where it's like there's a horror TV show host called Count Floyd, played by Joe Flaherty, okay. and he had a horror show called Monster Horror Chiller Theater, hmm. and he'd play a. A movie like Dr. Tongue's 3D House of Cats. <laughs> and, of course, John Candy played Dr. Tongue. And, okay. You know, okay. I've but, never seen it. I have to yeah, look yeah, check it out. Yeah, you got to check it out. And then, like, they do the 3D thing where they throw things at the frame. But whenever they push things towards the camera and pull it out, it goes... <laughs> and Eugene Levy played his assistant Igor. Oh, jeez. Okay, I'm gonna have to check that <laughs> check out. Check it out. Yeah, you could probably just look up. You don't have it? <laughs> no, no. Just look it up on YouTube. You oh, can yeah, find probably, it on YouTube. Probably. But, I, but it's not the, not the viewer. But yes, I swear to God, this guy could have been John Candy. I actually thought it was at first until I read the end credits. I'm like, no, it's not. So. Okay. So anyway, go, moving on. Moving on. Um, yeah, yeah. The the the, um, the group, the small group that includes Sarah, goes down into the mine for. For whatever reason, because they wanted to see what it looks like. Yeah, yeah. Well, they brought a six pack with them too. Yeah. So th- party, a, yeah, party. And of course, there's a couple also going to make out in the private section of the mine. You know, oh, <laughs> God, so. these kids. Don't they understand? <laughs> they understand these things. Anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> the stupidity is continues, but yeah, yeah. Um, well, <laughs> but then we get what uh, there was a. Uh, Take it away. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank right now. Well, um, no, no. They go down there. They go down and there. They, and they, the, they get the grand tour they the, like, yeah, like they're and, at a fucking and, museum. <laughs> right. And, and they come back and then that's when they realize that the, the young lady had been uh, killed and the, the sheriff's on their way. Yeah, and, yeah. And of course, TJ and Axel finally get down there and tell them, you know, yes, Harry Warden. And, you know, well, they, again, they all think it's Harry Warden. Right, right. And, and of course, mayhem and merriment ensues with the killer constantly showing up and killing various ca- uh, the cast members. Yeah. And yeah. at one point, Axel tries to help him get out from this one section that's flooded, and he right. jumps in the water. And then, of course, they think he drowned. Right. And then there, there's kind of like a an, a uh, I don't know. Cause this movie came out before Temple of Doom, but a kind of a Temple of Doom esque like oh fight yeah yeah on, yeah. on the on the train on the coal cars where they're yeah, pump, yeah, punching where they're each fighting. other. Oh god. They're, they're fighting with the uh, with the. Uh, the Harry Warden or the Masked Killer or whatever. Right. And then, of course, they get into the one – this other secluded room and they're fighting in there. And then, um, you know – and again, yes, folks, we are spoiler heavy on these shows. Yeah. So again, get ready. Again, this movie is about, what, 30 years old? Yeah, now? yeah. So you might so, know what happens. So you probably already know what happens. But anyway, we're, we're continuing on. We're, we're approaching the climactic scene. Yes, where there's a big fight and, uh, you know, they're still fighting. Right. And then, of course, uh, it turns out that the killer – is not Harry Warden, but dun, dun, dun. is really. Are you ready for it? Waiting. Are you ready? It's it's Axel. No way. Yes, it's Axel. And why is it Axel? Uh, be, well, we get a brief, albeit a flashback sequence, because that's always helpful in these kind of situations. Yes. Um, now, uh, Axel is trapped because the uh, uh, the. Well, no, well, no, we haven't got to that. Part oh no, 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 okay. Anyway, we see that um, that Axel's daddy was actually one of the managers that was murdered by Harry Warden, yes. and he and I guess snapped when he heard about the whole Valentine's Day dance and whatever, and he was he was the one behind it all. 
So yes, 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 yes. Because as we find out, Harry Warden did die yes. in, in the in the institution, right. <laughs> as per the as per the sheriff telling our two <laughs> surviving cast members. Yes, and it's like, and and again, I like this movie, but I like how that's how they quickly, you know, because that's how they find out is they basically they tell the sheriff, sheriff, you got a phone call from the place, you right. come back here and find out, you know, you know, find out what's going on, you know, what the answer is. Yeah. But uh, so, anyways, so of course it's Axel, and then of course they keep fighting and everything. Right. And then of course there's the mine. There's a little the cave, cave in, in the smallest section. So of course Axel is trapped. Right. And that and that's where we kind of see what happens where where the sheriff comes in. That's where they show the flashback right around that time. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah. And then we and you get the creepiest fucking ending. I yeah. <laughs> I it's it's a very that. bizarre ending. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just and it's not so much creepy because it's, he just kind of walks away. But it's the way what he says. He's like. Uh, this town is going to pay. Well, what happens is that they think he's dead right. at first. So, of course, you know, so they, TJ oh, and Sarah are kind of walking away. Di- and they're digging the, but they're digging the rubble away, right? right? And then they find that, you know, they see um, Axel's hands, arm, arm sticking out, and he's mm-hmm. moving. And they go, he's alive! And, of course, Sarah hears, he's alive! And right. she has to run back and see what happens. So they go down there. And as they're trying to dig Axel out, Axel is literally carving his <laughs> arm off, which I was sitting there wondering, why would she? Because it didn't like it was trapped. Yeah. <laughs> so... I, I, you give him a souvenir? Yeah, yeah. Well, he he, tra- he cu- carves it off, and of course, you know, um, Sarah grabs the arm, and of course, pulls it away, and of course, she screams in terror. Right. And of course, you see him saying in there is he's going to go deeper into the mine and basically yeah. die, yeah. saying this town is cursed and you're all doomed. You, and you're everything. all going to pay. Yeah. Harry Warden. And they, was it uh, Harry, Harry Warden's I'm go- coming I'm for ba- you? Yes, <laughs> Harry Warden's come or no, going away. Oh my, Sarah, won't you be my bloody Valentine? Yeah, yeah. Uh, very creepy. Very bizarre. I mean, it, it's. It, it's an out there ending. I do like it, but it's a very out there ending. Yeah, because I'm gonna say, let's say, I'm saying, once you cut off that guy's arm, I mean, if they ever did make a sequel um, to the, or if they, if they if they went on with it, I'm sure they could have probably, you know, explained yeah. it somehow. But you know, when you cut when you cut off on a major appendage like that, and you don't have anything. You're gonna bleed out. Like, yeah, in yeah. About... My bloody Valentine too. A farewell to arms. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> oh, here's that Hollywood. Uh, yeah, <laughs> call me, please. <laughs> yeah. Please call me. No, um. But um, anyways, yeah, that's basically the ending of My Bloody Valentine. You know, I mean, like I said, it's I, I do enjoy this film. I have to say it's not the, the you know, the most perfect or the best no. of them, but it, it, it does hold up fairly well. And it, and, it, and it's fun. It's an 80-minute, you know, 80 minutes of fun that you know that. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's not going to be a complete waste of time. No, so. no. It's, it's 80 minutes of your life that you will not feel you've wasted. <laughs> I mean, really, you don't feel I, – I honestly don't feel like I waste. And if you get a chance, try to find the – the DVD special edition that was released years ago that has the uncut version of it on there too. Yeah. It was I have to say it was very gratifying to see that footage back in there. Right. I do wish they kind of cleaned it up a little bit. Yeah, you could it, you could definitely tell where well, the inserts were. It, well, it, well it, the, at least the last scene. Yeah, it looked like I I thought I heard that it came from a 16 millimeter answer print, but I mean that could have been cleaned up a little bit. But it was just very interesting because you have to you have to think about this, folks. It doing prosthetics even back then. That's a lot of work. You have to. It's like what one of them said on the on the extra features. You have to do the cast. You got to do the mold. You got to just when you think it's perfect, then you got to take it to the set. Mm-hmm. You got to light it. You got to see if it'll <laughs> match. You got to make sure. Oh, you got to make sure the latex isn't too rubbery because you want people to think it's look right, you, realistic or at least it, realistic it, for the horror movie standards. Right. And it, and you can tell when you watch it that they went through so much effort to make it just look good, and then it gets cut. 
and left on the cutting room floor. And it's like and it's very gratifying to see it back into the movie. Right. And now I, I, I purchased this, I think, from Disc Replay, which is a secondhand, you know, yeah, video, yeah. Uh, you DVD shop. Yeah, if you Disc Replay, you might find this yeah. movie. <laughs> and, and, you can, and you can even pick that up on Amazon. I think it's for – on the DVD, like the special edition DVD, like 10 bucks. Yeah. I think I spent like 5 or 10 bucks, But I wanted to get the Blu-ray. Blu-ray is extremely limited release. Yeah. And it's and I want to get it, but I'm not dropping $65 for a DVD. Yeah. I don't drop $65 for yeah. one DVD I, I, of anything. I would, yeah, I would I mean if you can find it used it's great, but if I mean if you really to drop 60 bucks on getting this rare Blu-ray of the uncut version of My Bloody Valentine, that's fine, but I, I really wish someone would like if the rights would lapse and it would go to somebody else so they put it out on a cheaper price. Yeah. And actually clean up the the some of the scratches yeah. on the and, and who uh, knows maybe in the, D, in the Blu-ray it looks better but I can't justify myself spending sixty five dollars yeah, on one yeah. DVD as much as much as I like it mm-hmm. the movie it's but if you do I, get the uncut version that's more power to yeah, you yeah I, I got like a twenty dollar limit twenty five dollar limit on <laughs> movies right because right. let's face it even the resale value to those things are is atrociously well for most movies is is really you're not gonna get that much for them yeah um like like I want remember back in the day we did back in our separate pod days. Real quickly, we did the episode for the Puppet Master franchise. Yeah, and did you buy the DVDs for that? Or oh did yeah, just... I did. I bought DVDs. So, so you bought the the the, the two pack with the, with oh, the, the yeah, nine yeah. films. Mm-hmm. I recently, re- a couple of days ago, tried to sell it back to, you know, get some money back for it. Mm-hmm. They would not take it. They said, and do you know why? The reason why? Because the quality is so poor that whoever put out the features, yeah, yeah, like yeah. they like we can't take this. We won't sell it. I'm like. <sighs> I'm like, oh man! All right, well, I guess I'm yeah. going to keep it <laughs> for a while. Keep it for a while, or use it as a coaster. Yeah, exactly. I got two coast, two ten dollar coasters. <laughs> but uh, anyway, with that, uh, do you want to do some fun facts and then we'll yes, move on to the next one? Yes, you got some fun facts in this yeah. movie. Um, in a recent interview with actor Neil Affleck, uh, he revealed that he still has the miner's helmet and that he wore in the film. <laughs> right, right. And by the way, this is—I believe Neil Affleck is not related to Ben Affleck. No, I, I don't. I actually looked that up to make sure. <laughs> Um, oh, the Irish band My Bloody Valentine adopted their name from the film. <laughs> oh, in the ending credits, the song line says, "All those al- still alive know the secret survives." This is referring to the movie's original entitled, t- entitled title, in- intended title. Sorry, the secret, because that's what they were calling it. Yeah, because they at the time they were trying to come up with a a, 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 a horror themed um, horror movie. Um, based on the, the the holidays, and they couldn't, they didn't know what to say at the time, so they called it the secret. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, it was a long <laughs> roundabout way. Uh, one of the makeup designers once chipped a dummy corpse on the set of the coffin, which caused much alarm when it arrived at uh, Canadian Canadian Customs. So <laughs> the uh, the tw- the uh, ma- on, mannequin set off the alarm. Come on, Canadian Customs, this is a dummy. <laughs> oh, let's see here. Jeez. We met, you mentioned this in the crisis, so I'm not going to mention that again. Uh, oh, in the fictional novel Smog City, ISBN number nine seven eight dash one five zero two four six nine seven four eight. The main character visits the small town of Sydney Mines, Nova Scotia, while wearing a My Bloody Valentine's T-shirt. In the interview, the author of the novel stated that this was an homage to My Bloody Valentine <laughs> because it was her favorite movie and often visited the Sydney Mines in real life. Um, let's see here. I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm just picking, hand picking out the best ones. Yes. Uh, let's see here. Oh, um, 
the Esco gas station scene when Chief Newby drives away in the radios in the police station still exists as, as of 2015, though it has been modernized a great deal in, over the past few decades. So if you're in the area, you want to go see the gas station. <laughs> uh, Let's go. <laughs> oh, here, here's, here's a kind of a cool one. The soundtrack to My Bloody Valentine was, was mostly by Paul Zaza and Canadian country singer Mary uh, Bortel. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm butchering the names. Although Paul has claimed that to have all the original, uh, claimed to have done all the original soundtrack with him, including the folk rock songs and the Ballad of Harry Warden by Josh McDermott, he was it was never released for sale despite the number of fans for the film requesting to do so. In several interviews, he stated that even though he has copies of the soundtrack, there isn't a large enough number of interested buyers to make it worth putting out on vinyl or CD or MP3s. Mary Mary released her recorded songs from the film for sale on an album called The Star. Uh, the Ballad of Harry Warden is available on a number of the video sites copied from the ending credits of the film's DVD release. I, I Actually, I thought that was kind of cool. I, would, I wouldn't mind having a copy of that. Yeah, Jesus. I mean, um, I think he's thinking about in case in the situation if it'll make a lot of money and it's like, well, buddy, it's not going to make a lot of money, but, you know, if fans want it, you know, just put it out there. <laughs> and if you do make some money off of it, yeah. okay. I mean, yeah. you're not going to make big bucks off no, of it, but, but I, Jesus. It, but I think, I think enough fans would buy it that he get something for it yeah uh, oh here the final one uh, so, uh star neil neil affleck said that the identity of the film's killer was kept secret from the cast because the filmmakers liked the idea of a mystery being among the real actors however affleck figured out he was a killer when he was being cast after being cast when he was sent to makeup the makeup effects department to be fitted with a fake arm that would be ripped off the killer in the film's final frame <laughs> well hopefully he didn't tell anybody <laughs> he probably kept it a secret at that point so I think we can now safely put Harry Warden to rest. Well, or can we? Yes, I was going to say. You know, we probably should have mentioned this earlier, but um, but uh, we're not just reviewing My Bloody Valentine from 1981. We're, we're also reviewing My Bloody Valentine 3D. Yes, <laughs> from 2009. Yes, this is from a, 2009. This sorry. is basically an original and a remake episode. But we felt that what's one. My Bloody Valentine when you can have two. Yes, <laughs> two for the price of one. So what do you think? You think we should roll that trailer? I think we should roll that trailer from My Bloody Valentine from 2000, 3D from 2009. Yes. Exactly what did you see? Something was following us. horrific event this town has ever seen. Authorities are calling this the Valentine's Day Massacre. In the town of Harmony, something unexplainable Hello? is happening. Come here, you better check this out. What is it? This January... Prepare to witness. What do you want? The most frightening 3D motion picture event to tear through the screen.
nothing says date movie like a 3D ride to hell. All right. Yes, that was My Bloody Valentine. 3D! Because <laughs> we love 3D here. Now, before I, before I get into my synopsis, Chris, did you watch uh, uh, my copy in with the 3D glasses or did you watch no, it in 2D? No, I watched in 2D. But I did – okay. I did see the, the, the 3D version of this uh, years ago at former Severpod member uh, Mark L. Risman's house. Okay. He had – he had the the DVD of it. And I think he I think he had the 3D setup at that time. I'm trying to remember, but I did. I remember watching it in 3D, and I was very impressed with it at that time. Yeah. So I figured at this point I'm going to just watch the 2D version, and the yeah. 2D version is okay. I mean, yeah. but uh, we'll we'll get into it. But basically, yeah. I just watched the 2D. Yeah, version. I I've watched both because I I started I started watching it. I want to say on our break. So I watched it once, and then it was a while. So I was like, well, let me just watch the 2D version of it so I can well, kind of refresh know, my memory. I should have asked, though, does the 3D work on the regular setup? Because I, Yes, I, the, the, this, this 3D is um, – Because I know it came with the glasses. It came with the glasses. Now, this is, a, this is a, a, um, one of the rare 3D things that they would actually give the glasses to. The rest of them you have to buy – the 3D movie, then you have to have the 3D TV and the 3D DVD player and the glasses. And that's a lot of fucking work. And it's really (laughs) expensive. Um, Basically, the 3D here is adequate. I mean, it's uh, what what, what the disc is, what you get when you you purchase the the Blu-ray or the DVD. It's adequate. It's not bad. I I, I watched it in my basement and with the lights off. And there is some kind of like, like you can still see the red and and green. Yeah, that's the the Anaglyph process. And most 3D movies in color do not do that. They just use the red yeah, um, but it wasn't bad though. Right. It wasn't bad. Yeah, um, I, I was thinking about trying it, but I said, I, uh, no, because that the, the Anaclaf process doesn't work very much on even with today's technology. Right. The red and the, the red and blue or the red and green, it doesn't quite register. I mean, it works better if you have the three D setup. I think. Yeah, and, and I saw this actually in a theater with in three D. And yeah. actually, former several pod member Mark Risman and and Dave Rodriguez. It was the first time I was meeting Dave <laughs> for the first time ever. And we we all got together and we made at Buffalo Wild Wings, and then we went to go see the movie. My wife and and the and the guys, and it was it was fun. We enjoyed it. So anyway, okay, uh, my bloody Valentine three D. Release date January sixteenth, two thousand nine. Budget estimated for fifteen million. It grossed fifty one million, over fifty one million, in March of two thousand nine. Now, who says you can't make a movie for fifteen million and, make, and if it's got a good ad campaign and it's got an exploitable storyline, it can't make that much money back? Come on, come on, fifty one million in the U.S. And I'm not even sure how much it made overseas, but yeah. it made quite a bit. But that's pretty good. And I'm with that kind of return, I'm surprised it didn't make a sequel. But we'll get into that later. Okay. The taglines used in the promotion were, on January 16th, get your heart broken. Or, nothing says a date date movie like a 3D ride to hell. That's my favorite. Oh, yes. You get your girl right next to you, and you hope to God she gets scared, and maybe you can just reach. Oh, okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, yes. And, or, and he's going to break your heart, and finally, you can't get any closer than this. And that's or get your heart broken, blah blah blah. Anyway, you get the picture. Anyway, it was directed by Patrick Lucier. Uh, writing credentials uh, credits Todd Farmer with the screenplay and Zane Smith, uh, John Bernard with the 1981 screenplay, and St- uh, Stephen A. Miller with the story. Uh, starring Jensen Eccles as Tom Hanniger, uh, Jamie King as Sarah Palmer, Kerr Smith as Alex Palmer, Betsy Rue as Irene, Tom Atkins as Burke. Uh, Kevin Thigh as Ben Foley and Megan Boone as Megan. Now, <clears throat> <Yeah. laughs> welcome to the small town of Harmony, part of America's 
part of the old American Rust Belt, previously known as Industrial Heartland of America. Tom Hanniger, played by Jensen Eccles, is the son of the owner of the mine. He caused a drilling accident, which trapped six miners in one of the tunnels. A rescue team was dispatched, but by the time the team reached the miners, only one was the only one was found alive was Harry Warden, played by Richard John Waters. But he was in a coma, and the five other miners were found dead, murdered by Harry's pickaxe. The police come to the conclusion that Harry murdered the fellow miners to conserve oxygen so that he could survive. About a year later, Harry awakens out of his coma on Valentine's Day at the local hospital. He kills nurses and orderlies. Harry escapes and heads off to the mines where a party is being held. Now we enter Tom Hanniger, played by Jensen Eccles, and Sarah, by Jamie King, Eric Palmer, Kerr Smith, and Irene, by, played by Betsy Rue. Harry then proceeds to hack up a few more teenagers and young folk, bringing the, total, the death total to 22 casualties overall. Jesus. Now Sarah, <laughs> Sarah, Axel, and Irene just barely, barely escape from Harry's pickaxe of death. But Sarah wants to go back and help Tom, but he's forced, in, forced, into, the, forced into the mine. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Sarah wants to go back and help Tom, but is forced into the truck by Axel. Tom falls down and is caught by Harry Warden. And then he is forced back, or he's chased back into the mine. Just as Tom is about to be killed by Harry, Sheriff Burke, played by Tom Thrillme Adkins, and Officer Hitch, played by Bingo O'Malley, arrive just in time to shoot Harry about a half dozen times, and Harry escapes into a different part of the mine. The cops give chase, leaving Tom very shaken and upset and covered in Harry's blood. We then fast forward 10 years later, and then the town is remembered every year for about the gruesome atrocities that took place. Tom left town shortly after the incident and has not been seen or heard of since. Axel went on to become the town sheriff. Axel married Sarah, and she works for the family grocery store, and they have a young son named Noah together. Irene went on to become the town slut, but still hot. Uh, <laughs> then, just before Valentine's Day, after, after being absent for a decade, Tom shows up after his father had passed away. He comes back to sell the Hanniger mine and leave town for good. Leave leave the town of Harmony for good. Only the date of the signing of the official papers has changed. And it would have to be signed after the weekend. The murders then start to happen, and Tom becomes a prime suspect of Axel and some of the townsfolk. Meanwhile, Tom maintains his innocence and believes Axel had something to do with it. Let's discuss my bloody Valentine 3D. Yes, <laughs> you know. Um, I have to say, when I first saw it, when Mark showed me this, I I did like this. As a matter of fact, I I liked it. A lot more than the original film. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. Yeah, and then when I watched it again recently, I still like it. I, I'm kind of, I, I won't say torn between it. I'm just kind. I think since I haven't seen it in a long time, perhaps some of the the expectations I had for it in the back of my head of what I remembered then don't quite match how I look at it now. Oh, yeah. But with that said, I still like the film. Um, I have to say, watching it though in two D. The gory special effects gag sequences don't quite play very well because <laughs> it's very obvious that every sequence involving flying blood or, you know, or, or dismembered arm is or comes off the, as, the tree branch poking, you know. Yeah, yeah, it comes off as very CGI looking. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm, I believe there were a few practical effects used utilized yeah. in it as well, but I just felt like. Those 3D shots were just like, in 2D. They're very weak. Yeah, well, they, they were using a new 3D process at the time. Uh, uh, this was the first movie that was using it. Um, so it's basically they were, I guess, testing the waters with it. It's it's not bad. And watching it in 3D and then watching it in 2D, yeah, you can see where there are mm-hmm. certain things that are shot specifically for 
the 3D aspect yeah, yeah. of it. Yeah, like when I remember seeing it in 3D at Mark's place at one time, I was like, wow, you know, the, you know, it really feels like the effects work is mm-hmm. just coming right at you effectively, you know, all the bloody stuff. And then watching it in 2D, I was like, oh, you know, it's okay, but it's like, you know, it's, uh, you know. It, it doesn't it's, seem <laughs> as graphic, I guess. Yeah. Well, not graphic, but just it doesn't seem as real. Like it just felt more cartoony looking. I mean, compared to watching it in 3D where it felt like it was really coming at you. But um, – so yeah, the storyline for this is actually slightly different because, yeah. and in my opinion, a little bit. It, it seems like they, they cleared it up a little bit, yeah, cleaned yeah. it up a little bit more. But like it didn't resort to the not that I hated it, but it didn't resort to the whole you know Harry Warden trapped in the mine and killing his after his associates died. He resorted mm-hmm. to cannibalism. Right here, here they, he killed them on purpose. Yeah, yeah, or he went crazy and right. killed them on purpose. And then of course he's in the hospital. And I have to say, I like that opening sequence where when he wakes up and then it. it you see what happens afterwards. They go in the hospital and everybody in there is dead. All yeah. the patients yeah, are dead. That was a, a <laughs> really a brutal thing. And I'm, and, But the only thing I'm thinking about is, okay, it's one guy. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have his pickaxe. He doesn't have any kind of – Probably like, grab some surgical tools. Well, yeah, but I mean so, <laughs> even with a, uh, you know, a, a couple of knives, you can't really do that much damage. Yeah. <laughs> but I love how they find one of them with the heart missing. Yeah. And, it's a, and it, then uh, – uh, there was a didn't he like draw a picture of a heart yeah, with blood it's, and I was, love Tom Atkins when he walks in he just looks like he's very perplexed on what to do yeah just he, sits there and goes what and <laughs> there there is a between him and the officer the old the old guy uh, Hitch or Hinch uh, played play, play by Bingo Mal which I just I love his name yeah. I, oh he worked for George Romero on a couple stuff yeah. he is in I think he was in Creepshow he was in uh, Two Evil Eyes I think he but was anyway, in Night Riders but the, yeah. the, the guy is, looks old, like older than dirt oh yeah well, he, <laughs> no, looked, no, if, he looked old even back in, when no, he was no, for George. no offense no offense <laughs> he just looks really really old and it's like I can't believe this guy is still even a cop at this point yeah <laughs> and, he, he should be been retired at that point yeah and that there's like, this thing is like I should have retired like last or yesterday or you know like, last week and if it were me I was like you should have retired, retired 10 years ago buddy <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but that was that was that was that was a little funny exchange in that mass of all the you know the carnage. Um, so they so then of course after the hospital it moves over to the mine into yeah. the mine and there and the kids are there and they're all partying and I no I, dance though no so. dance no dance no, yeah that's the thing about this too there's no dance in this thing. Well, see, I think that was a signature staple of the '80s. You always had to have some sort of dance for the killer to come yeah. back and just destroy people. A.K.A. the Prowler. Yeah, I mean, yeah. a dance that hasn't been held for like 20 years. and yeah. then Here it's basically just, you know, yeah, hey, just a bunch of kids hanging out, line, the hanging out, drinking beer. This time it's American beer or at least not yeah. Moosehead. Right. And, you know, well, they're in Pennsylvania. Yeah, they're in Pennsylvania. <laughs> um, you know, we're just here for chicks. Oh, and of course, Jensen Eccles is here. You yeah. know? And he was he was doing Supernatural when he yeah. did this movie, right? Yeah. Yep, so was... I find it a very interesting casting choice. He was still doing a TV show that was kind of still rising up at that point. Yeah, he yeah, he did, yeah 2009. So the show had been on for probably about four seasons already. Yeah, and it's still going strong. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, 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 I think they're just about to announce that they're going to be back for 12th season. So. Jesus. See, wow. Well, and not to divert too much, but I'm a huge, huge Supernatural fan if you have listened to the show. Um, and uh, Jensen Eccles, and I actually got to meet those guys um, at one of these Chicago conventions. Oh, yeah, man. That's that was right. a lot of fun. Were they pretty um, nice? Oh, yeah, very nice, very nice. Uh, very funny. Jensen Eccles especially is funny. And um, uh, uh, Jared Padalecki is massive when you meet him. He's yeah. like 6'5". Um, and didn't he end up in the um, – Yeah, he ended up in the remake of uh, Friday, Friday the 13th. 13th yeah, yeah. So that's kind of interesting. And, and it was both. Yeah, same time too. It's like they decided to like, take, take 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 their break their, their break off Supernatural for three or four months and go film a movie. Yeah, it's like you're going you're, you're gonna to take a break from Supernatural. 
But you're going to be filming a movie, yes. <laughs> and you're both going to end up in a horror movie. That could be together, but you're yeah. going to be both in a horror yeah. movie. Yeah, and, and you're both going to be in a remake of eight, of 80s classic movies. <laughs> I'm sure they sat there, and they were tickled pink over yeah. the whole thing. And, and truthfully, and, and you know where they filmed their show? Canada. <laughs> <laughs> So well, once they reopened those tax shelters, they just <laughs> had to take advantage of it. But yeah, you got Jensen Eccles there, and they 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 are um, they mostly have the same character names. You know, Jamie yeah. King's character is uh, Sarah, and you got Axel. Yeah, they, they, they changed Tom's name to or TJ to Tom. So yeah, Tom Anniger because they wanted his character to be the 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 son of the the person who owned the mine. Yeah, because the mine didn't have that big of a. a, a a character, a big of, of a of a backdrop, other yeah. than being that's where the guys worked. They gave right, this right. The, the mind more character this time around. And, by... and then you've got Irene, who becomes the lovable slut in this film. Yeah. Well, I really kind of felt bad for her death sequence, but I have to say she went out in a very bold way by playing the entire scene Naked. nude, <laughs> Naked. <laughs> Which so actually, so you know, we should go back to the mind part for a moment. Yeah. So basically, when Harry Warden shows back up, what I find interesting is the Jensen Eccles character. He's trying to escape, and he ends up getting knocked out. Yeah. And, of course, Sarah and Axel just leave him there. Right, and that, that, that's the thing. It's like you see him. He's he's running. He trips. He falls. Sarah, there, there's plenty of time for them to come pick him up. Right, right. But, but Axel just being a dick and he's and, and scared probably is is pushing them into the truck, into, the, into actually, I think, Jensen Eccles' truck. Yeah, yeah. Tom and like, we just got to go. We got to go. He'll be okay. It's yeah. like, come on, dude. Really? Because <laughs> then you go back and get him. <laughs> so then, of course, Jensen Eckles tries to defend himself. Right. Of course, and, and he finally, Tom and Aikens and Bingo O'Malley show up to take care of the problem. Yeah. And then, of course, it cuts to 10 years later or whatever. Yeah, and, you, you fo- and then it's, they say it's been 10 years after the brutal My Bloody Day or the Valentine's Day Massacre. And we should point out that uh, Tom Atkins' character Burke has retired. Yes. And now it is Axel who is the sheriff. Yeah. And he's married to Sarah and he has a kid. But, but there's a little trouble in paradise. Yes. For, at least for Axel. Well, because Axel's dipping his uh, his ink in. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's see. Megan. He's, yes. he's, he's putting a schlinker in her schlunker <laughs> if, you kind of, if you get her drift. <laughs> yes, he's he's having fun he's with putting the, his pee-pee in her VV. He's he's basically having an affair yeah, with the younger girl. With, with Megan who who happens to be uh the co or the I say the one of the workers at the grocery store that, that of, of Sarah Paris works work. at. So yeah, basically he's Treading a fine line, which yeah, talk about like like just twisting the knife yeah. <laughs> in Sarah's back. And Sarah's a good looking chick too. Yeah, and and they see they had, had a pretty decent marriage. Yeah. Why fuck it up? You know? Well, I think they're trying to give Axel. He, he came off kind of as a dick at the yeah. when you first see him ten years prior, and now well, you really got to hate him yeah, because yeah. you know well, he's also, screwing around. And not only you know Sarah's you know, but on Tom you know, you know Sarah's Tom's ex girlfriend boyfriend and. You know, it's just rough. <laughs> yeah, and and by the way, we have to say this. Unlike the original film, this movie has a lot of plot to put out. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, not saying that the original film didn't right. have any, but this one has a lot. But so. I even I, I even like the old old mayor. I forget his name. Um, uh, it was played by uh, Kevin Ty. Yeah, Ke- Kevin Ty. Yeah, he 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 did a pretty good job. I like yeah, him yeah. a lot. And um, so basically, Tom returns, and he returns because he's going to be selling off the mine. Right. You know, and he had been gone for long, and nobody could find him. Right. Until he, they... he was completely MIA for about you know a decade after the incident at the mine, and um, he comes back because his father had passed away. He missed the funeral because him and his father had I guess had a falling out. Yeah. And um, he's like, and then even the mayor is like, you know what? Make your peace with the with the man. And here here he is, and he gives him the, like the ashes. The and ashes, he just, yeah. You know, and and. Uh, but the big problem is he's going to sell the mine. You know, like, well, come on, this is all our jobs here. This yeah. is what what matters to us. And yeah. of course, he gets into a brief. 
bar fight with somebody at the bar because right. and, you know. And who saves his ass again? Is Tom, Tom Atkins and Tom of course has to mention, you know, I'm not going to save your ass again. And, and, who, and then Tom's like, and then Tom's like, who asked you to? Blah blah blah. Like be trying to be all man, manly. Right, right. But in the meantime, we get to the the the, the sleazy motel, which I have to say. I like the setup setup for that because the owner of it is this short um, midget lady <laughs> with with a with a French bulldog, which yeah, I yeah, yeah. love. Which with, with, when she's wearing the t- like a tight wardrobe because it's pushing her chest up <laughs> into her into her, uh, yeah, into her almost chin, up to her chin. <laughs> but but you know Jensen Eccles' character of Tom is staying there for the night, and right. then at the same time. Irene is in the other room having sex with a with a trucker. Yeah, and and you and you see him actually walk by the room after he gets his keys from the yeah, yeah. hotel, and you hear him, and he kind of like stops and he listens. And he's like, oh, all right, <laughs> but <laughs> continues then, on his way. But then it's 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 not all. But then what happens is the trucker turns out he's videotaping them having sex, and of course she gets all, gets pissed. all pissed. And of course she follows him outside, completely naked. Yes, with a handgun, with yeah. a little mini handgun. And of course I love the joke in it because he says, "You're not going to shoot, shoot me, me because your gun is not I'm loaded." And she put, actually pulls it and she goes and throws, throws it at him. <laughs> and hits him right in the forehead. He's like, what the fuck? And but of course he opens the door and sure enough, a pickaxe oh, lands in this crane. That was brutal. Uh, that yes. was a rough – And rough. there's a killer. Harry Warden is back or at least they think he is. Yes. It's a killer dressed up as a miner with the oxygen mask and with the, the pickaxe. Yeah. And kills, a Darth Vader sounding. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And Sound. he kills, kills the motel owner and then – Brutally murders uh, poor Irene. Oh, oh man! I... And I love how she tries to try to keep from getting killed because she's hides under the bed. Right. But then he finds her, and then pulls the bed, you know, the mattress off. She grabs the the framework and puts it against her like she's trapped yeah, in a yeah. cage. And then he ends up getting her in there. Yeah. But but she did put up a valiant fight. And what was funny is that uh, she, she actually before the, she filmed the scene naked. She, they actually tried to keep a towel around her, but with all the running, it kept falling down. They could not get it to stay up. <laughs> so she said, oh, it was her idea. I'll just do the scene nude. It's naked. like, are you okay? Like, oh, yeah, sure. It was her idea. I'm like, like you, you think with all the money they invest in like like a, a big you, movie. special effects yeah, and all that yeah, stuff, you yeah. can't find a way to keep a towel on a fucking woman running around. Yeah, yeah. Or at least <laughs> you put some gaffer tape underneath <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But, but kudos to her. I mean, I, I like the way the scene I ended I like how it went, too. It's very trashy, but it's very effective. So um, so then, of course, now our uh, lovable sheriff, Axel, of course, gets wind of the murder and the fact that uh, Tom is back in town. So now he's got a murder to contend with, plus worrying about if his wife is going to fall for Tom all over, you know, or if Tom's going to try to take Which, her away. Who, from... At this point, who the fuck cares? You're, you're, apparently, your marriage is on life support anyway, yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're banging, you know, the the the, the young the young hot piece, uh, right, right, cashier, <laughs> right. And of course, in some strange turn of events, Tom decides to not sell the mine. Yeah. So talk about a very odd setup, right yeah, there. Because, well, I think because he. He wants to get back in Sarah's good graces. He realizes – she makes him realize that this is the town that, yeah. you know, that this would, town would completely go under. I mean that's what they count on for. All the businesses around them would dry up and they'd be all – And Tom also decides to take a trip down to the mine, which basically results in the killer showing yeah, up. That's for, not a, that wasn't a good idea. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't a good idea. Trapping him inside one of the, um, the, uh, the, the yeah, cages he, that they yeah, have he, Yeah, he goes down there to talk to one of the foremen, I believe, yeah, yeah. or something to tell them that he's not selling the mine and that – Whatever it is, and he wants to talk to this guy personally and whatever. And yes, he gets trapped in a cage and <laughs> one of the other miners gets gutted. Yeah, and then, of course, everybody looks at him like, why didn't you do anything? Like, I was trapped. And he is legitimately trapped. The yeah. the, the, the killer 
turns bends the the, the, the metal steel. piece by the by the lock yeah, and then locks him in there. And he so, can't, yeah, he can't get out. So then, of course, you know now everybody thinking that you know well Harry Warden's back, and of course, as it turns out, no Harry Warden has been dead for quite a while because. He gets. He was killed by the cops. Yes, the cops had secretly killed him and buried him. Yes, and buried him. But of course, once they go to the burial site, his he, bones aren't there, and and neither is the mask or anything yeah. else. So, so um, which is strange because yeah, I know. Truthfully, I don't know why the cops would cover that up anyway. They mm, had a legitimate. You know, yeah. the guy but, killed twenty two people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they wanted to see him at least apprehended or at yeah. least see the body. They because they they made it sound like he just disappeared. Right, right. But I'm saying, why even cover it up? Yeah, that, that's yeah. why I don't understand. Like, the guy, you're you're a cop. You're giving chase to a, a killer who just killed a bunch of people. Right. You you shoot him. You know. <laughs> so then, of course, there's more victims. I mean, uh, uh, Burke. The Tom Atkins character gets killed oh, in the very I was so I was, I was pissed. I should have died. I, I, I really, I really like Burke's character, and I and I really remember we were talking about '80s movies about how back in the day they'd have a couple of well-established stars in there to kind of pass the yeah, torches yeah. on. And this is why kind of what they felt they were doing here. Right. You get Tom Atkins, you get Kevin uh, Thai, Kevin Thai, Thai yeah. and you, you kind of like give them give the next generation. Right, the right. Torch. And I like and again like you, I like Tom Aiken's character and Kevin Ty's character. And of course they both get killed. Yeah. Kevin Ty gets uh, brutal Oh my Oh yeah. They, well Kevin Ty gets murdered but and, it, and that's a harsh way. Oh, yeah. Well, Atkins getting his jaw ripped. That was fucking well, horrible. Well, Kevin Ty's death sequence is just crazy. He gets but the pickaxe stuck in his back. Then, of course, the killer turns him over, picks him up, and then, then turns the pickaxe over to the sharp side and then tries to stick Kevin Kevin's mouth close to him. And when he gets closer, Kevin just says, oh, shit. And then the killer right pushes his him. Right. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. That was a hard oh. way to go. And then, of course, what happened to Tom Atkins and everything. Yeah. Yeah. He goes – the rookie goes – you want to take point? He goes, no, I'm retired. You take point. <laughs> yeah, and then by the end of the day, he probably thought, I should have taken points. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, – and then, of course, um, uh, Sarah's working late at night at the at the, um, at yeah. the grocery store that with was, Megan. I really – truthfully, I love this scene because I really love the lighting and how they re- – the yeah. whole setup of uh, putting Harry in that grocery store and it's – it's kind of a cool grocery store for a small town. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, that's <laughs> actually a pretty, and it was a very cool scene. I like it too. I like when they run into the office, and they try to hide, and, and, they, and, and what I love about these movies is that they, they at least try to make these girls defend themselves. They take the desk and shove it up against the door. They take yeah. the filing cabinet and shove it against the door. Right. And then, of course, they're like, where's the keys? And it turns out, now again, this is what I like about this movie. The, they're going to try to escape the window, but of course, the window's locked from these from a bar. From the, outside, yeah, the, yeah, the cage, the cage or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So of course, you got to get the keys. So the keys. Normally, in these types of movies, someone realizes, oh no, the keys are outside yeah, of the it, office. Is, it's in no. the desk. Yes, at this time, it's in the desk. It makes easy. perfect logical sense. Yes, it's there. They can reach for it and they unlock it. And what I love about it is, once Megan gets halfway out to. The killer is gone. Yeah, they realize Megan, oh, wait, it's too yeah. it's too quiet. Yeah, you and know. Megan realizes, no, no, get back inside. Yeah. And of course, nope. The killer pulls her yeah, over the so other side. It, yeah, they didn't. They don't make the, the the lead the lead character, the women character, dumb. Yeah, and they and they do fight for themselves. They do give yeah. you know they they try to defend themselves. It's not like damsel in distress, which right. I, and like you said, some it's of these really, characters make smart decisions. I mean, yeah. or at least they have smart realizations. You yes. know, like oh and wait, no, just, no, 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 <laughs> just two seconds too late. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then of course, um, Axel shows up. Right. And uh, of course, they find Sarah's dead. Yeah, uh, yeah. Or that's Sarah Megan. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Me- I'm sorry. Me- sorry, Megan. folks. Megan. They found Megan dead. Right. And, and Sarah's Megan. getting wrapped up because she got a cut from right, the, the right. blade. And of course, they, the when they pickaxe. find when they find Megan dead, it has written on the top in blood, "Will you be my or the Valentine thing?" And then of course, 
as it turns out, Sarah somehow had known that uh, Axel was cheating on well, her. Well, what makes this death really brutal and really sad is that we also find out that through their affair, Axel got Megan pregnant. Yes. She was pregnant. I was going to say, I forgot and that they that's what made, pregnant. That's what makes it really hard because – But I will say in, in, in I'm certain Axel's character, as grief-stricken as he was, he was probably also going – <laughs> you know, like, whoa. Well, he's Dodge a dick. I don't know if he's that big of a dick. But. I, I know. But, I mean, as vicious as, this, as how it went, it's yeah. like I'm sure, you know, he was grieving, but in the back of his head he was just like, okay, good. Okay, good. Thank okay. you, Harry. I could like, probably repair this marriage. <laughs> so, so now, of course. Oh, geez. Um, so basically we now come to the big final we, – we come to the big – the big conclusion as to what's going on here, um, and uh, she, uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah was at the hospital and everything. Right, and and that's why uh, they had the, the the police thing around the house, right? That's why yeah, the because cop- they had the cops watching because right. the, her son was there. Right. And, so, and I'm sorry, but really quick, because before we get back to that, um, so the, the 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 rookie cop goes inside to find um, the check on Noah. Mm-hmm. Uh, while Tom is out getting killed, <laughs> I mean uh, not Tom, yeah Tom Atkins' character, uh, Burke. And they find they do a, another uh, homage to the original by having the housekeeper being stuck in the dryer. Yes, that's right. And that was disgusting as <laughs> that well. Was, that was a lot more disgusting. Yeah, that was very brutal. So then, then, then they go. Then we go back to Sarah. So go, and then of course, uh, Tom's character, the Jensen Eccles, uh, shows up, and uh, you know, tells her you know he thinks he knows what's going on, but he needs her to come with him. Yeah. And of course, he has her come with him, and. During this time, there's this bizarre cat and mouse thing going on because uh, Axel has been doing some investigation on Tom's character and finds out that Tom was in a mental institution. Well, they didn't know where he was, but yeah, but then yeah, eventually but, he, but finds, he finds out yeah. and he calls her up and she, she's in she's the already car. in the car with yeah, it. and he's like, "You got to get out of there. He's been in the mental institution yeah. for a couple of years. Yeah. You got to leave." I, I I know you may hate me right now yeah, yeah, yeah. for what I've done, but just please get out of the car. Right. And but of course she doesn't. Yeah. Actually, she doesn't. But then she hangs up and she tries to pretend that, oh, that was my yeah. mom and calling. Then, and Tom ain't having anything. He's like, yeah, that's Axel. That yeah, wasn't that, your mother. That, that <laughs> was Axel. And, of course, uh, they try – you know, there's a big uh, – you know, she tries to stop him with the car and everything. Right. And, then, of course, they crash into – This uh, huge big, tree. Yeah, which I have to say is the most obvious 3D shot of the whole movie. Oh, it yeah. just comes straight out of the – you know, it, it's – but I, I will say – much better than anything done in Jaws 3D. Oh, yes. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's yeah. A, just a given. <laughs> or, or Amityville 3D, you know, one of these. Or basically any of the 80s 3D, movies in yeah. 3D. Any of the 80s 3D movies. So, so of course, she escapes. Uh, Jensen Eccles is kind of injured a little bit. Yeah. She, but she escapes to. Which is, which is amazing because that car is fucking total. I mean, I know. I, you know. <laughs> He gets out and he's just like ah, yeah. <laughs> like, like laying on the ground. Yeah. He's just in total pain. But but they end up back at uh, Axel's uh, father's old hunting cabin or yeah. whatever it is. It was the old house that or, they lived yeah. in, I think, and the, which is which is where Axel would go to to meet up with uh, with Megan. Megan and have the yeah. have the naughty sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, have the sex. Sex. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so yeah, she gets there. And uh, she ends up finding empty uh, Valentine's, Valentine's Day boxes. So, of course, because the killer has been doing the same thing that he did in the original film, putting right. dismembered hearts in Valentine's Day boxes. Right. So she naturally assumes that, oh, Axel is the killer in this movie. Yeah, well, that and she also finds the old picture of her, of uh, of Tom and herself in one of the uh, the uh, um, holiday boxes. Yes, yes. Candy so boxes. Then, so, of course, as soon as she turns around, there's the killer waiting for her. And, of course, she escapes. Yes. And then she ends up running towards the mine. And 
uh, ac- you know, Axel shows up and uh, Tom shows up. So right. now it's like literally a battle of who's who's the killer. Here. Who are you going to believe? You're going to believe because at one point uh, Tom says, you know, think of you know, he reminds him what happened to Megan. Right, right. But then of course Axel says, "How did nope. you know about that?" Right. And then of course, as we discover. Well, I heard it. He tries to play it off like, well, I heard it or I yeah, read it or, yeah, or yeah, heard it on the radio. Well, we talked like, about it. Like, no, like, we never no, said we that. Never saw, so then, of course, all of a sudden, he looks over past them and says, look out behind you. It's Harry. It's Harry. He's or, coming. He's coming. coming right and there's no one there. And I love how Axel's character looks over at, at uh, Sarah and just shakes his head going, no, no, yeah. no. Like, no. Because we see the, when, when they look over, Harry's not there. The killer's not there. Right. So as it turns out that – the killer is Axel. No, no. <laughs> no, it's Tom this time. No, it's Tom. Yes, you see. T- t- apparently, um, after the the mining. Well, actually, wait a minute. Let me think for a second. No, um, it seems as though that after the mining incidents and everything, and you know what has happened, it has affected um, Tom to it, a great deal. And and he was put in a mental institution. Yes, put in a mental institution. And, uh, yeah, he's not doing too well. Yeah, not doing too well. So, yeah. of course – Hacked um, up a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah, hacked up a bunch of people. Well, now I'm trying to remember for a second. Um, wasn't he one of the people that was – because there was a mining accident that involved – He caught – okay, this is what happened. At the beginning of the film, if you don't remember, is that uh, – I guess he didn't bleed the lines, right? Yes. And, and, that, and that explosion trapped Harry and all the guys in the right, mine originally. Right, okay. And um, I guess he thought maybe he was getting a free pass because he was the son of the owner or whatever it is and – Whatever. There was some resentment there. Yeah, but then when he saw what happened to Harry War, Harry, Harry getting killed. Oh yeah, yeah. When, when, that when, affected the, the, him the, too. When, when he when he was getting choked out for like the, the you know, choked out and he then he got shot and they chased him into the mine. That really kind of left a, a, a mental a disturbing yeah. mental image. So now it's so what we find out is basically you know he's been going around killing uh, right. the varying he's people. He's been having like town. these blackouts these, or yeah these bizarre blackouts or he you know with him thinking that Harry the Harry character or the killer has been doing it all along. Yeah, it, and I have to say that's a very interesting twist. I do like that because I was thinking, you know, how are they going to pull this off this time? Right. With, you know, who whoever is the killer. There was a great uh, dialogue exchange between the the uh, characters where uh, uh, where Sarah's like saying, I, "I don't know who's the killer." No, I'm not the killer. I'm not the killer. He goes, and then Axel goes, "Well, oh, just shoot us both." You know? <laughs> I know, yeah. He said, just shoot us both. And then you know, that's when he mentions what happened to Megan. Yeah. Uh, Tom Skidder mentions what happened to Megan. And all of a sudden, they're like, how did you know about that? And then, and I, I, but I do like that that twist of it because, you know, again, like I said, I, you think to yourself, where are they going to go with this? And it turns out it's a me- it's this huge mental issue that right. Tom but has. The, the, the only thing I, I understand after watching this movie, seeing this movie about a half dozen times over the years, um, if Tom truly blacks out, and he becomes Harry Warden, or Harry, or he thinks, or Harry, or he becomes consumed as Harry Warden. How does he know what Harry does? Because we usually, when people do that, they don't have any recollection. Yeah, yeah. So when he killed Megan, uh, yeah, how would that's he know? A plot point. Yeah. How, I mean, again, it's a it's a very minor. But n- there were point. interesting clues about that too, because if you recall, there are times where Jensen Eccles' character is like taking medication. Yeah, we never they, know what he's taking it for, but we yeah. know he's taking medication. Yeah, and then then you, then they have the. Kind of, then they have that kind of like flashback sequence where you see uh, Jensen, you know, popping the pills, and you see him standing in front of the mirror and shaking and getting ang- getting and upset. seeing himself at one point as, as Harry, yeah, yeah as, as Harry, and then going out into the forest and then finding 
Harry's old mask and yeah. all that stuff. Which I have to say, though, now, it's interesting. If if, if the, the sheriff and his buddy buried Harry Ward in secret, how would he have known that Harry was buried that's a very, there? That's a, that's a very good question. I mean, I, I don't recall him finding out. But. And, and, unless it was completely by accident and he was just hiking and ran across it. Yeah, you know? he could have. Because, I mean, you, you hear those t- times all the time where the uh, a, a – Guy, a guy and his dog are out walking, you know, in the forest, and yeah. they'll see some, you know, and also, yeah, and, and also, you know, the stories about how they, uh, Harry just somehow disappeared. No one could ever find him. Again. Yeah, you know, you know, so, so then basically we just we find out that um, Tom is is the killer. Yes. So and now, of course, there's, there's a fight the big fight sequence, and of course, it's up to Sarah to grab Axel's gun. Yes, and take care of business because <laughs> this is another thing when. Harry Warden and Todd, or the killer are killing people with the axe. Look, you get hit with a pickaxe, you're fucking done. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Axel takes a pickaxe to the gut. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. And it's not just one of these. And you can't really graze with a pickaxe. It's either it's going in all the way. But it hit him. He pulls it out. And he's still able to hobble around. And he's able to walk. And, yeah, maybe he can't hold the gun. But, I mean, yeah, you're hey, pretty much done for. Yeah, you can't... well, in this movie, you can do what you want. <laughs> yeah. That, that's true. I mean, I, I know what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, it I is... mean, again, it's a horror movie. We shouldn't be looking that deeply into it because it's, it's – Even face, though it's we do. Can- <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's, it's candy. It's, it's horror candy for us yeah, to yeah. enjoy. But but, uh, but I love what happens is that they're right – like 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 Tom's character is right next to that methane gas yeah. or the, the propane yeah. – and she takes that shot. That final bullet. And, of course, it, goes, it grazes past Tom yeah. and it hits the tank and it just goes boom. I, I like how they showed it go into the skin, into, the, into his body and out the other side. Right, right, right. And he's like, ow. And then, ah! ba-boom. And he's yeah. thrown backwards and, you know, the cave collapsed or the mine collapsed. Um, and, of course, the police show up. The police and the, and the paramedics. There. And, and, of course, Axel's okay. Yeah. And uh, Sarah's good. And you think, well, you know, I guess they're going to fix that marriage after all. Oh, but God. you know, then that's another thing. My God, just dump the fuck. Yeah, come on, the guy's a dick. Okay, <laughs> just dump him. You should have called the but psycho. She and truthfully, she doesn't have that great a t- great a taste when it comes to men. My God, she was uh, dating a murderer. And, you know, and, well, she didn't and know about time, him yeah. being the murderer. She kind of had a feeling that her husband was being a uh, was banging the, the yeah, <laughs> was being a grocery store. <laughs> but but, but um, the, so we so we see a rescue team going to the mine. Right, and one of them happens to find, find uh, Tom. Tom, and there's like, and the rescue guy's like, "Hey, we found a live one." They, now, again, they don't know what we know that, yeah. that Tom is actually the killer, and they're like, "We're going to get your help. We're going to come and get you." You know, blah blah blah. And then that poor sob from the <laughs> from the mining guy just gets it right in the yep. face. Yes, and then of course at the end we get the nice, we get the nice, you know, sort of, will there be a sequel? Will there not be? Considering yeah. that. He's now he now he's alive. I mean yeah, he's, he's got alive. he's got a he's got a, a, a bullet wound, but it's a flesh yeah. wound, and he's he, kind of stumbling out of the mine. Well, so he's, he's not, wearing the the miner suit. No, the, yeah, so nobody the, will know. <laughs> yeah, and you see him rip it off very dramatically, and he, as he, and he just looks like a little bit like Quasimodo as he's walking up the yeah. hill, and like oh sweet, so we're gonna get a sequel. Yeah, well we haven't. It's been uh, oh, this was made in two thousand nine, and this is twenty sixteen. Yeah, I, I don't think we're gonna get a sequel. <laughs> Damn uh, it! I, I did. Ta- I, I when I did when I get to get, get a chance to speak, speak briefly to both uh, Jensen Eccles and, and Jared Padalecki. I told them how much, not only do I, I love the series, obviously, but I love their their, their, interpre- their remakes and their horror movies that they're a part of, My Bloody Valentine. And I asked, I asked Jensen, or Jared, uh, so do you think you're, uh, there'll ever be a sequel with you in it from the next movie, from the Friday the 13th? He goes, 
I honestly don't know, dude. I would love to do it. Yeah, <laughs> but what I don't about know. Jensen Eccles? And Jensen, is, Jensen didn't, didn't really know either. I yeah. think, you know, truthfully, those guys are so busy right now because literally it's almost every weekend of the year. They're, if when they're not filming, it's like I think they film like Monday through like Thursday or Friday. And then they fly out like on Saturday to go to these conventions on, on for one day. Yeah. I'm... And, 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 <laughs> and they they do a panel and they sing. Some, sometimes they'll come in Saturday night because Jensen's been known to come in uh, and do like a concert uh, for like the, the for the because it's all it's a weekend affair. Yeah. And on Saturday nights they have like a Friday nights they have a karaoke. Saturday night they usually do the band comes out there and he'll sing. He'll sing some of the like the classic rock songs and some like Leonard Skinner and it's he's a really good singer. He's very talented. If you have a chance to look him up singing on YouTube, he's very good. Um, but anyway, but those guys are on the road. They're constantly moving. It's like even on a downtown like. As much as I love the show and I, I respect those guys and everybody a part, it was a part of it, it's like, you guys need to take a fucking break. <laughs> yeah, but I'm willing to bet they're getting paid very well. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're making, God, that's a gig I wish I could get. They are making money hand over fist. I swear <sighs> to God. Um, but truthfully, if it, if it had to go to somebody yeah. that, you know. You're, ta- you're talking to someone who's been trying to get in this business for years. <laughs> and let me tell you, it's still a dream of mine. But every time I look at how – Look at it. I go. Oh, it's like it's just so out oh. of reach. It's yeah. like, like yeah. If it ever happens, I would just get yeah, on my hands it, and knees. And say, it, okay. It'll probably happen when you least expect it. Mo- yeah. Like most things. Um, but I remember you know talking to them and the, the, the whole show, and it's just it was an amazing experience. But and I wanted to do it again. I don't think I'm going to do it this year because it's just so expensive. Yeah. And it's happening on the weekend of September 11th, and. Usually it happens in October, so they had to announce the ticket sales already. So it's, it was really tight for people who just gone to the convention to buy tickets. Well, if you ever see him again, what you should do is you should just give him a piece of paper and say, "Here's our podcast. Could you please just?" <laughs> yeah, I'm to... sure they would do that. I know. I, honestly, I would. I joke when I say I would never do I, I, that. I, 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 trust if me. They, uh, if you guys are listening to this, we would love for your feedback. I doubt that you would ever do that. Yeah, but, I would. I would never do but, it either. Uh, I mean, it, it's. It, I'm honestly, your number one fan. <laughs> well, but you know what. I, I am though. I, I could I could imagine someone trying to do that and and not doing it to be annoying, not yeah. doing it to be like you know, hey hey buddy buddy, but um, you know, still. But yes. anyways, okay. So I'm sorry. Where were we? <laughs> yes, I was say. But um, so, is there anything else that we have on this title? Well, no. We uh, oh for our fun facts. Um, yep. Yep. A flyer, oh, a flyer on the wall indicates that Valentine's Day is Saturday, February 14th. That would mean the previous day was Friday the 13th, <laughs> which just happened to have the remix, just happened to have his TV brother <laughs> from Supernatural. <laughs> now, there was also an episode entitled My Bloody Valentine on, on Jensen Eccles' famous TV series Supernatural. That <laughs> was pretty funny. There was a film made, the film was made into a haunted house at Universal's Halloween Horror Nights, which I think that would have been pretty cool to see. Um, this was the first rated R film uh, projected in real D technology. So Ooh. we talked about the 3D there. Um, oh, in the bar scene, Sheriff Burke, who play, played by Tom Atkins, yells, "Everybody stand down! God damn it!" Atkins would go would go on to play a similar character in Patrick Lucier's next film feature film, Drive. Uh, was it Drive Angry? Uh, Drive Angry in 2011, where he would say the exact same line in the same way during the film's Jesus. later later scenes roadblock scene. <laughs> sure, he was like, wait, this sounds very familiar. <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, Jen- Jensen Eccles and Kerr Smith previously worked together on Dawson's Creek from 1998. Um the film was shot in Pennsylvania because it allowed the production crew to take advantage of the, t- the state's tax incentives for filmmaking. Um, oh, this is interesting. 
In 2009, the Australian Classification Board released its report, which shows the, the most complained about titles of the year. My Bloody Valentine 2009 was in the top five with a dozen <laughs> complaints. Most of the complaints were about the film's gory violence, although the film carried the highest rating available to, to, for non-pornographic films, an R18 plus in Australia. Many people who wrote in wanted the film to be completely banned. <laughs> Jesus. Wow, Australia, wow. come on. <laughs> yeah, guys that, you know, wrote Wolf Creek, really? <laughs> uh, okay, uh, screenwriter Todd Farmer also appears in the film playing the role of Frank the t- truck driver. Uh, oh, yeah, I mentioned this in the original script. In the main scene, Betsy Ruth's character was written uh, very differently with a lot less nudity. She was wrapped in a towel around herself as she exited the room. But would, would ah, as she exited the room and would be covered throughout the entire scene, but the actress constantly failed – uh, consistently failed to complete the scene without dropping the sh- sheet, so it was taken out of, by the request of the actress herself. So, <laughs> uh, the first two characters on screen are named. The first two characters killed on screen are named Jason and Michael as an homage to the characters <laughs> from Friday the Thirteenth and Halloween. Uh, let's see. Uh, I think that's it. So, uh, what else you got? Uh, I don't think I have anything else. I mean, I, you know, honestly, I enjoyed both films. I think they make a great. Valentine's Day gift for your loved one. Yes, but please get flowers and candy to go along with yeah. it because if that's, you're just a or cheapskate. Just, or just be lazy like us and do this. <laughs> yeah. I'm not getting anything for the wife. We're, we're going out to dinner. <laughs> Maybe some flowers. Um, anyway, uh, well, we hope you enjoyed this episode and you'll join us uh, next month for our March episode where we'll be discussing horror comedy, cleverly called that horror comedy episode. Chris, would you like to tell the dear listeners what they can expect? Oh, yes. What they can expect from us on that upcoming episode is us reviewing Tucker and Dale versus Evil from 2010 and Final Girls from 2015. Ooh, sounds good. Hopefully, this time around, it'll be full of more merriment and laughs (laughs) since we'll be discussing horror comedies. Yes, intentionally. Intentionally. Intentionally horror comedies are fine. Uh, Yes. Finally, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at thathorrorshowpodcast at gmail.com or directly through our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash thathorrorshowpodcast. Well, good night, and we'll see you next month. Yep. I'm coming. This whole fucking town is going to die. We're coming back, you bastards. (laughs) Sarah, be my bloody valentine. (laughs) Daddy, gone away. Harry Warden made you Thanks for listening. Oh, son of a bitch, 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 didn't you?